0: Search, each man different, living his own way, searching,
1: discovering numero uno. Welcome everyone to another episode of Broken by Concept. This is, looks like a bit more of a unique episode. We have an extra person here. Um, we'll introduce him in just a second, but obviously um, my name is Nathan Mott. I help people get better at jungling. Curtis mid midline coach. And then we have Simon Swiffer- Papa Marcos, am I pronouncing that last name right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, nailed it.
1: Join us as our first guest, so Simon, big big shoes to fill. We are literally our first guest. The broken my concept. I hope you're um, hope you're excited.
0: That wasn't, wasn't part of the brief, but yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, happy to be here. Happy to yeah. have it to join you guys. It's an honor.
1: So reading off um your um lead period here. I don't know if you've read it for a while, Simon. Uh, this is just a bit bit about um, Simon uh, mm. Greek heritage. Mm, Known for its elegant looks and thick accent. Mm, very his Solo true. killed ambition at WCG 2013.
0: <laughs> yep, that was, that's my one shining moment in my life.
1: And I want to bring this up, Simon, right here, sort of again for the introduction here. Yeah. Um, you might remember this year. So for those listening on Spotify here, yeah, this is 2013 when Simon <laughs> was playing for Teen Immunity, um, yep. the OG roster with Radia and Venom. Um, so we'll play out this little clip. Yes, this is you playing Cassidy into Nidalee mid. This was the matchup back in these days. Nidalee mid. Yep. This was that was like a, a super popular pick, right? It was like Gragas and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you do want to talk us through this play here, Simon? Yeah,
0: I do. Actually, I, I don't remember the specifics of it too much, but I will say that I th- always thought that this was a really good matchup for Cassidy, which it which it is. Of but I've never been manhandled quite like this in the like I'd never been this. Also, this tournament was just so laggy. It was like, like, <laughs> it was like, like if we're just watching it back. I just remember, like, I couldn't, like, I literally lagged out and just started auto attacking. There, it was just and they oh, were, were they were so. You actually lagged yeah, out no, we're, we're like legitimately lagging. <laughs> uh, like, I just can't believe that this is happening. Oh, uh, it was so. That, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh he ambition was insane. He used to do that. Like, I used to throw my Q, I think he walked. Ahead of the minions at level one, I don't know, like, and then buffered his E on my Q, and then just started auto attacking me, and I just lost the lane at level one, and I was like, "Oh, that's how you play." It was insane. Never, ha- never happened to me before. Also, he landed so many spheres on me in lane. I was just such a bad player.
1: So I was trying to find in this bot like, like, where was the solo kill and f- for ambition? Was that in I this game? I don't think. It was, I legitimately
0: right? don't think that, like, this is the only time I ever played against Ambition. And yeah. I never, I can't remember the solo kill ever happening. I always remember, like, Sam being there.
1: Yeah, because I, I literally went over this entire VOD and, like, I, I couldn't find it. I literally yeah. couldn't find the solo kill. Like, I think this was the moment, right, that everyone thinks was, like, a solo kill for some reason. I, yeah, I
0: don't know. Just, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't believe Leaguepedia. Yeah, I was I, I was, I was
1: wondering who wrote the uh your little brief section there, but um yeah. so yeah, we know not to trust Leaguepedia. So obviously four time OPL champion. Obviously OPL is not around anymore, um but a lot of history in the O scene. You could say one of the goats of uh, O's mid lane, tiny awesome. with Fantix, Roma, um pretty much the one that sort of paved the way. I mean, obviously Curtis, you know, sort of. Was in. Well, I mean, we were always in. The, we were in the same era back in, you know, yeah. twenty thirteen. Um, you got your start on. Was it frenetic or Was that one of your first, like, official pro
0: teams? Yeah. Um, uh, the f- like the first team that I joined. Oh, I don't even. I don't even remember the name. I I played AD on it though, um, and then, uh, sequential, SQL picking out okay. as mid lane. And, yeah, that's – and then uh, – oh, I can't even remember, like, the order as to how everything happened. And then eventually, like, X5 and then Immunity with a few, like, other teams in there.
1: I mean, obviously, you're most well known for Team Immunity, and then obviously that turned yep. into the Chiefs. So um, Chiefs was OPL era, again, four championships. Finals, you would have been in seven grand finals or six? Um, I think it would be seven, wouldn't it? yeah that sounds about right yeah so definitely a lot of experience there and now your official position or i mean over the last year you've obviously been the head coach for excels academy team
0: in the uk lc is that what it's called yeah and uh, halfway through this year it turned into the nlc which was like a amalgamation of the nordic league and and the uk
1: So we have a lot of our listeners are aspiring pros and, um, you know, people looking solo queue, like maybe they're like, you know, 13, 14 looking to be potentially professional players in the future. And obviously times have changed a lot in terms of the way we became pro players and to what it is now. Um, Joe, we've talked about our stories before in terms of getting, becoming a pro player, you know, just coming off solo queue. Like what was it for you? Like was there a switch in your head that you sort of went, I can be a pro. We always trying to be a pro player. We just playing league for fun, like sort of. How did it work as you know, sixteen year old um, Simon in um, in Melbourne, Australia, you know, back in 2011, 2012
0: mm. No, I didn't think. I didn't think that. Uh, I didn't. I didn't set out playing with the intention of becoming a pro player. Like it was never a like a dream that I entertained. Um, I think I just put a lot of time into it. Um towards the end of high school and the beginning of uni and then eventually just hit high enough rank and got offered a position i thought that i could do it part-time uh whilst while studying and then eventually turned into full-time it's kind of it was like i didn't i didn't like set myself goals or anything like that i legitimately just had fun playing the game and had fun getting better at it,
1: and do you think that's changed nowadays? So, do you reckon if you had the same mindset as you did when you first became a pro player, is that is it possible to become a pro player today with, or even just get into amateur, with that same mindset the way you became a pro player?
0: Mm, yes, but I think that I don't think that it's enough. I think I think that I think that you need to be having fun playing the game. I think that that's kind of a given. I don't think that. You can treat it without passion, or you can have no passion in it. Um, But I think that there's so much more, there's so many more tools out there now, and there's so many more people with access to that, and the game's been partially figured out. I think that if you only have passion and you don't have any, like, critical uh, ability to critically analyze anything in the game, and you're kind of going into it without using these extra tools, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're probably not going to hit the, probably not going to get into it as, as far as like I did just not having that.
1: So when you talk about tools, you're talking about like extra resources in terms of coaching, just huge, just the amount of knowledge of YouTube content out there. Is there anything
0: else you're thinking
1: of in terms of what you
0: mean by resources? Um, so it's like, even, even like practice tool is like something that we like, uh, like mm. the three of us didn't have in the game, uh, perfecting combos, like, a lot, a lot of the pretty normalized mechanical plays now were pretty extraordinary back then. Like you think of insect, and, and that's a very easy one, for example. Um, like the like a lot of the Thresh plays were pretty unheard of back in the day. Uh, it's like all of this stuff has become a lot more standardized because it's like access to it, access to seeing this, and like people who have done this stuff before make it make it standardized. So the level is so much more so much higher now than it than it used to be so if if you're not up to that point like if if you have to figure out everything yourself you're never going to get you're never going to break through like you need to use other tools like you need to be watching other other people
1: Because, I mean, for us, we all, I mean, again, from my perspective, correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis, or um, Simon, but we are just figuring shit out ourselves. Like, there wasn't really much YouTube content. Like, you had Mobify, I think, was around back then. But it's like, you're not going to trust a Mobify guy. You know, it's like some of it was, like, helpful, but, like, a lot of it was like just figuring out, you know, ourselves. I mean, I, 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 I didn't even know Udia was a bad champion, and I got to rank two. Sh- but I think there was a blissful ignorance in that aspect. Mm. It's like I'm just figuring this out. No one's telling me it sucks. But um, I'm I just going to play. Maybe, maybe I think they did. <laughs> I, you know, not to, I mean, I hate the champion now. I think I don't recommend anyone playing it. I don't play it yeah. myself. But like that just wasn't too much of an aspect, you know, like back then. But that was fun. Again, I think of fun. The importance of fun was um I mean I wouldn't have continued playing the game if I wasn't having fun. But was the fun in the game itself, Simon, or was it in
0: the the climbing the ladder? And being better think, than everyone else? Well I started so I started before season one came out. So I started before the ladder was there. Um obviously you had like the hidden MMR, but I think I sunk like nine hundred or like one thousand games into into league before That might be hyperbole, but like, uh, I can't, I can't remember the exact amount, but I know that I sunk a lot of time into the game before ranking even came out. And then, and then once the competitiveness did enter it, um, in terms of like the, the, like visible, uh, ranking system, then I think that that was kind of addicting to, to rank up on it. Um. The, the kind of, I always, I always enjoyed, the part of the game that I always enjoyed was mastering a champion, uh, surprising people in the game with the stuff that I had figured out, um, being high, like, highest strength amongst, like, my group of, like, my friends outside, like, in, in real world and stuff like that, and then eventually it just turned into beating everyone in the game.
1: So you think, think mastering the champion problem. was the first was the first thing.
0: Just the just the joy of just figuring out a champion mastering it. Yeah. I saved the first champion I saved to buy was Karthus because he was so expensive that no one had I had never seen him before. <laughs> and then and then killing people with his Requiem and like catching people off guard with that was so exhilarating. Like that, that like that's that's kinda like where it was. And people in type in all chat like 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 what just happened? And I'd be like, <laughs> "You suck!" <laughs> and, and I couldn't—I could never figure out like the skittle, like the the Q mechanic at all because I was really bad at the game. But I, I would just sit back and wait for level six to kill someone, and that—that that was so much fun. That was so much fun. Just the outplay yeah. potential of hitting that one button. Oh, dude, that's what I meant by champion mastery. Yeah, that's
2: no, it. Champion mastery. That's actually such a common one, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed with a lot of pro players, they had either a older brother that they wanted to get better than, or their older brother was also pretty good at the game, or another game, um, and there was like a rivalry between them, or they had a f- strong friendship at school that they wanted to be better than. They wanted to mm-hmm. be better than their friends. That seems like a very, very common, um, very common mot- source of ro- motivation for it. some of the most, I mean, even now, even now, if I think back to all the people, it was either friendship groups at school or their brother. And, yeah. and if we even think about, um, I mean, just people I know, they, they either, yeah, all of them nearly had an older brother. And for you, was it your friends at school that you had, they all yeah. played league or?
0: Yeah. So I, the, the friendship uh, group at my school, um, I didn't, it's not like... It wasn't like a friendship group because it was... We I was at a school where you kind of like intermingled across like the groups and everything. It wasn't like American high school, you know, where it's like everyone's set in a defined circle or whatever. In the cafeteria, but, um, everyone's sitting in their little... Yeah, little. no, definitely, definitely wasn't like that. I was like, who do I feel like hanging out today with? The main group, actually, that I hung out with at school didn't really play a lot of games, to be honest. It was like the other groups that I was a part of that, that did do that a lot, and... Um yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure because we I played like a, quite a few games with them. Uh the one that we played I played right before league was Dota. So kind of had some experience in that. I used to think I was so much better than I was, and then I went back and watched the replay years later that I'd saved of a good game that I had in Dota. And I was like that's
2: fascinating. I deleted it out of shame. Yeah. You had experience with MOBAs before League. Yeah. Fascinating. So that would have been a massive advantage because for me and Nathan, I mean, we neither of us had played MOBAs before. So when I know about you, Nathan, but for me when I came in, I literally I I didn't even know what the hell was happening. That's why I played bot mm-hmm. games at level 30. You know, I, I was a complete noob and no one was there to teach me. And I only played by myself. I had no friends that played league.
1: So yeah, I thought I, the game was terrible when I played. I mean, I thought MOBAs were just – because I came from MMOs and, like, I played some sort of FPS and I was like, this game, who would play this? I thought it was a kid's game because it was just like a little – I think I literally found it on, like, a little sidebar of, like, some advertisement or some website. Mm. It's like, play League of Legends for free. And it's like this little, like, uh, uh, Lux or something like that, like, throwing some spell <laughs> on it. And yeah. – um, but then, obviously, I mean, obviously, everyone's story obviously grows on on you. But, but I'm surprised because a lot of the Dota players, they're, like, elitist, but, like, never moved to League. So I, what was it for you? Like, was, like it would have been a trash it's like a trash game, right? It's like the kids' game because it's so much more complex. Well
0: Yeah, like, I you know, I like. actually I did think that League the first game I played I thought it was trash. The first champion I played was Cassidy, and I thought it was kind of like anti-mage. So I built him like full attack speed and then like was like, <laughs> Why isn't my W burning mana? and then whatever, right? And then um, I and that also plays into what I called myself at the time because I thought I wasn't gonna play play the game. So I named myself like I'm not going to get into that but I named myself right. something pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if it's like a, I don't know if it's like a suitable audience for it. but anyway, yeah, um and then so I named it's myself like a... something. Yeah, it was yeah, it was it was Mimi. It was like from South Park. Cuz I thought that we wouldn't be playing the game for very long and I'd go back to Dodo and and whatever. Um but I remember After the first game I played, I did go back to Dota and then my friends stopped playing Dota and I was like, well, this is boring. Um, And so then I just moved to League and just had to learn that. And that's kind of, yeah, I was forced into it because I was the Well, where I want to go
2: to from here, so we know a little bit about your background. So um, you've always played mid and you were always, when I think back on your career as a mid laner, and this is actually something that's always fascinated me, Simon, and I haven't really had the opportunity to ask you this question.
3: Mm.
2: Now, so Simon um, has been around for a long time, and he was, he was a very dominant mid laner. Like, when I was around like 20, 2016, around that 2016, even like 2017, you were, you were very, very, you are like quite far ahead of everyone else. And that was before mm. Fantix started coming up. And Fantix was probably the next best up-and-coming mid laner at the time. And then it felt like from, I would say, around 2017, maybe even before this, I might be wrong, when you started to progressively take SoloQ less and less seriously. Mm. Now, I mean, I might be wrong here, but I want you to talk to me about, and it's, it's always something I've wanted to talk to you about is, how important is solo Q to you, and now especially that you're a head coach in the in the um, the academy league over in the UK, is solo Q something that you put a very high significance on for players within your team? And just yeah, walk me through what was what's your take on solo Q? and and maybe maybe it changed across those years as well.
0: Yeah, so I think I think you I think it's really good that you kind of touch on like the way that I viewed it first of all. So it was. Um, so we, we already spoke about how I came into it and how like I always had the drive to kinda like beat people like et cetera et cetera, right? So and I saw solo queue as the ultimate kind of um, factor in in reflecting that kind of achievement. Uh, and then I think as as it went on and as I as I started winning the OPL and as like people were like, Oh yeah, you're like best mid laner, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't feel like I had to prove myself in Solo Queue anymore. Like, like it, I've already done it. I'd hit rank one at one point for like a week, and then just kept playing and lost it or whatever. And then, um, and then won four OPL titles, as you said. And then went overseas and just completely. I had like pretty pretty good tournaments overseas, uh, for the most part. Like my performance was pretty good, and then with people overseas also saying that, like, you're very good, etc. I never had a need to prove myself in OST solo after that. Like, it was just time that I would rather spend watching other people, other replays and stuff like that, and then trying things out. That's it. It, it became a different kind of tool for me after I'd already proved that I was good enough. Um, I'm not sure if that's the best way to have approached it, to be honest. And I think... Um, The kind of loss. I always I never lost the desire to win. Um, but I did lose um that desire to kind of show off how insane I was. So like the ego associated with it in a in a sense. I'm not saying that I lost my ego completely, but it kind of manifested in a different way. And as for how I've taken it, how I view like it now with players, if a player I I think that a player needs to want the drive to prove how good they are. To be honest, um, and so whether that there are some players, there are some players that can't due to like injury or whatever. Um, for, but it's like I need the player to understand that that drive that they have needs to manifest itself in some way, and whether that's through a billion one on ones or like solo queue itself or whatever, there needs to be some other metric in place for the player aside from practice and scrims.
1: Right. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. So, so And then player- so that, that metric for you, so you thought that solo queue, again, you said that maybe this wasn't the right approach. I want to actually get into that. Because, um, I mean, if I think of, of you when I was climbing the ladder, like season three, um, even in season four, I mean, again, I think that was probably the time when you hit rank point, or you're at least like you're one KLP plus. mm. Um, and then it would go from, um, that to, oh, it's with, I got Swift from Spooks on my team in solo queue. It's like, here we go. This is going to be an interesting one. You know, like it's, it's like that interesting dynamic. I mean, you could obviously, I mean, you said it yourself, you could obviously tell that, um, you, um, you thought that there was other ways you could spend your time. Um, I mean, were those ways watching the VODs and stuff better? And again, like, why do you think that, you maybe thought that was the wrong approach in terms of you should have kept taking solo queue incredibly
0: seriously. I don't okay, so I don't think that all right. So playing playing the game as much as I did for seven years or six years or however long it was, from from pre season one to season five, season six, season seven, I think eventually took its toll. Like I just couldn't I like when when i when i was doing all all this holy stuff i was putting in so much time into into doing it like just just playing the game over and over and over and over and over uh, that by by the sixth year i i would i would tilt a lot more frequently like i, I, I don't know that's I, the famous infamous i tilt clan, clan that Yeah, uh, are uh, famous with. i tilt clan i'd name yeah. myself piece of shit like it was like i <laughs> i had to but, like, I, I don't think I eventually coped very well with solo queue. Um, like, I became, rather than focusing a lot more on myself, I would think, like, why is no one playing, like, the macro correctly or anything like that? It was, it was. I would push a lot of the burden off of myself in solo queue, which made it, like, a lot less of a constructive environment for me. Um and then, which eventually led to me enjoying it less and me finding it more of a, it was like a, it's pretty it's a bad feedback Michael. loop. Yeah. And then eventually it just came to the point where I was like, I would rather be doing other things with my time. It, it wasn't like an active thought. I would rather be doing other things with my time, mm. but I found doing other things to be more rewarding. So yeah. Yeah. in terms of helping you become a better
1: player or just because you were just having such a miserable experience in solo queue because you're pushing <laughs> the burden on others Both. and you weren't taking responsibility. So both? it was
0: both because I felt like because of the environment, like because of the solo queue environment, I wasn't learning and therefore wasn't, I didn't find it enjoyable. Because I mean, of like I, my own expectation, like my own thing going into it.
3: Because I don't want
2: to, I don't want this to be a psychoanalysis session of Simon's okay, right. no,
0: right. <laughs> <I was, laughs>
1: over the last couple of years.
2: My, one of my big theories, even for the average solo queue player, is that ego is a massive contributing factors to why people just get stuck. They get stuck at a level of play or they plateau. And I I view you, like you said before, I don't think it was a lack of having an ego. I think your ego was literally the reason why you kind of, I wouldn't say you fully plateaued. Like you obviously improved between 2017 to 2019. But like you said, in your mind, you had already proven yourself. You had achieved everything that you want to achieve. And everyone recognized you as the best mid laner. But I think similar to what Nathan had done for the last two year, he lives in the past. I thought you, you, the way I interpreted you and Spooks was that when we beat you in scrims, we were starting to dominate you in scrims all of 2017, right? So with Diables, Mm -hmm. I think what actually held you guys back, it wasn't your inability to beat us. It wasn't that you guys were straight up worse players, but it felt like we would get more out of a game, Right and more out of a scrim. And these little things that add up over the course of a year made us so far ahead of everyone else. And the reason that was the case for you and why you guys weren't improving was because I believe that it was largely ego. I, I really do really mm. believe it was largely ego. And, and, and which actually, it always confused me why you never went to a coaching position when I did in 2017.
3: Mm.
1: You know, and, and so what do you think? I mean, would you say this is accurate? Would you say... Ego was a big contributing factor to holding That's you back. A fair statement, Simon Curtis, is an analysis of um 2017 for you. Uh,
0: I, I actually think yes. In in a se- like, so let me let me quickly just mm. address a couple of things there. Sure. Um, I think that 2017. So the ch- <laughs> Chiefs Chiefs was always kind of dysfunctional, and whether whether or like whether or not that can be attributed solely to me and like ego there or a shared burden amongst the players because it was not every conflict in chiefs involved me but we all contributed to the environment so it was like maybe the way that we dealt things with things and everything was a reflection of like ourselves you know etc etc and so ego was was a really big issue on chiefs amongst well i know that i had it and I think that like at specific points everyone else demonstrated him, that they did definitely. as well. Spooks. Yeah. And it was like, but it we we would go between phases of like people would go through phases of personal growth and, and stuff like that. And then we would have, you know, those those sweet spots again when it when it mattered and and come together for a brief time and be that really dominant team. Even even throughout twenty seventeen there were moments where or there were periods where like on, on the inverse of what you were saying, where we would actually put up, I think, like pretty good performances against you guys as well. Um, in during I spent like at the first half of the second split, for example, until you guys went through rivals and then came back and smashed us again, um, and stuff like that. Where it was it was kind of this ebb and flow, and then towards the end, it just became a lot more ebb than flow. Um, and as for not moving into a coaching position earlier, I never actually thought that that would be something that I would want to do. Um, So even at the time I thought that if I wasn't a player, I would just go back to like, I would just go back to the life that I had was going to go towards beforehand. Anyway, I wasn't mature enough to see this as a, as a path Um, and, or, or secure enough. Maybe like I was, I was like, I'm either playing for the glory or like, I'm just going to go back and do the other thing. Like, I didn't. I didn't want secondhand glory as a coach, which is what I interpreted it as the time. Um, maybe that was just because I had a, a low opinion of, of coaching at the time, to be honest. But um, but yeah, that, that I feel. I feel does that adequately answer everything? Or yeah,
2: no. I, yeah, I, I, and I, that's actually super interesting because you've been on so many different rosters, mm. right? And you've, you know, you've been in so many different team environments. Now you've been in a teaming house, a gaming house, sorry for it. Your gaming house was 20, end of 2016 or not?
0: Yeah, second half, 2016.
2: Okay, so you've been in a gaming house for total of, think of what, four, four, five years or something, right? Mm. Somewhat.
0: Yeah, 20, 2019, I actually stayed at home and would travel to okay. the... House is like an office kind of thing. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Just okay. So- you've
2: been in many environments regardless, and you touched on how the environment within 2017 contributed to what it, that performance that was brought about. Mm. Given all of your experiences now as a coach, given your experiences as a pro player, what would you say are the biggest contributing factors, both positively and negatively, to an environment? And, um, and then, as a two-part question, what would you have done differently as a player in those situations to bring about
0: a better environment? Hmm. I think I think something that you need to try and instill is at the beginning when you're all coming together for the first time. It's it's difficult once. Uh, uh, environment's already been established but when you're coming together and you're forming it for the first time it's really critical for whoever is guiding said environment to crack down on things that you don't want to happen because because what ha- what tends to happen is you'll go in you'll talk about like what team goals are like how we want to how we want to behave with each other etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then the first couple of weeks will be all fine because everyone's you know still a bit insular and and no one no one kind of says anything that's no one's no one's completely honest in the first couple of weeks with things. It's, it's like honeymoon phase. Yeah, it is, right? It's like oh no, I can forgive them for like fucking slurping their soup because you know I love <laughs> them and that's just so endearing. But actually, a year of that and I'm gonna kick you out, kind of thing. And then, um, so the first two weeks are always generally fine. But then it's like as soon as you as soon as you hit your first roadblock, it's it's the first conflict that kind of defines what your team environment is going to be like. And if you if the person guiding it allows the wrong message to be sent from players, then other players are going to pick up on the, on that, and that's how they're going to, in turn, give feedback to other players. And so, if you create an environment where n- because of because people are scared to get feedback, no one takes responsibility for things because people are scared that they're gonna they're gonna earn the ire of their teammates. For example, you 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 create this this environment where it's so unbelievably difficult to make progress because no one accepts blame for anything that goes wrong. Um, and I think I think something if I could go back to it's so it's so hard because it was like. We didn't have, like there was n- there was no guiding force or whatever with chiefs. The chiefs, it was just all immunity at the time. It was like I was nineteen, twenty, with
1: a bunch of other nineteen. 20-year-olds. I was like
0: I, with a bunch of other eighteen to twenty year olds with no with no figure that could guide us, and so a lot of the stuff that we would say would come out really poorly, and then that set the that set the environment for the next three years. Right. And. Listen, because moving, you play with the same players, right? So you're talking yes. about. I'm or... saying, I'm saying I, I, yeah, I'm saying like I was on the same roster for so long that like, it was almost impossible to do, like hit the reset button because of all like the past history and, and like the baggage that came with it in saying it, I've, I framed it pretty negatively, but there was also a level of trust between the players because there they had the gone focus. through so much yeah. that like, the play that we had between one another, and like the synergy that we had between each other as players, couldn't be matched for a very long time. So, if we if we could go back and frame everything in in a guided in a much more like uh, constructive mindset, then we could have had that synergy, and had that honesty, whilst also having a constructive environment for a lot more of th- a lot more of the time, which is probably the the one thing that I would change because I think like in terms of and obviously, like the concepts and stuff, the like modern concepts with like wave control and everything is something else. But like, if I could go back and change anything, it would be how at the, at the beginning, how I would frame things to people. I think, I think that would be the, the big thing. And could you give us an example? Um...
2: So is it more, are you talking about frame things? Okay.
0: So, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, easy. So with Sam, I would say things- and Sam's about... a jungler, just to clarify. So oh, sorry. Spooks, I would, like this is with Spooks, yeah. Because I worked with him the most, uh, Mint Jungle, et cetera, et cetera. So I have so many examples now that I'm thinking about it. But it would be thing, things on like contesting, contesting neutral waves- and we'll, we'll talk about like a Mage versus Assassin matchup. So Assassin has to play aggressively on the wave to be able to get prior, or else the Mage clears it and controls river space, and then the Assassin can never take the all-in. So at the, at the neutral wave, it's like Assassin plays aggressively, and like Sam would be doing something else, and then we'd lose control because I wouldn't be able to contest, and then Assassin would control, and then Sam would die, red buff, or something like that. Eventually, it's snowballing of pressure. And then I would say to him, you need to be here on, on this usual way for me to be able to establish this because it sets the pattern or whatever. I, 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 like, <laughs> what I saying. wouldn't frame it. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. frame it like yeah. that, though. I would say, why aren't you here? Okay. okay. In the game, we'll the, game, how you review the game after the Richard game? After the game. After the game. I'd be like, yeah, this is a review. I'd be like, why aren't you here? And he's like, why do you need me here? And I'm like, because he's going to, like, he's going to all in me. And I... I, I would not know how to frame anything and then he would say why don't you call me and I'm, i would just say like you should just know and then, right. that was a discussion
2: that, and that was it
0: yeah and i would i would just say you should just know and then he would say well <laughs> like how am i su- like how how am i supposed to he- right. that would be the end but i could like i can picture him being like like how <laughs> like why you know like it just yeah, that, yeah, yeah, There was no, there was no, it was, I was really bad at the, at the, at the, at, at explaining sp- the specific point that I wanted to get across. I would just, if it became too hard, I would just default to, you just like, you just need to be better or you just need to know. Right. Like, like that, that's, that's bad. Like, that's bad. And we didn't have a, we didn't have a coach that could explain that properly either. Right. I was just, it was just trash. Obviously. Okay, like That's yeah.
2: Fascinating thing, just flowing mm-hmm. on from that. Do you believe coaches need to be high elo?
0: I believe that coaches need to have a, a very strong idea of of yeah, game mechanics, whether it's whether or not like micro. Yeah, I think I think and like that can be that doesn't need to be reflected necessarily in in elo. But if a player comes to you and has a question and you if you don't have an answer and you can't figure one out like you're failing your job like you need you need like i'm not saying that a coach needs to be able to solve everything the instant a play comes to him because that because the game hasn't been figured out to a point like that like that um and it's and it's constantly evolving and, and patches change everything but if if a coach can't if a coach doesn't have the a foundational level of knowledge to be able to problem solve that kind of situation then they're failing their job
2: right and you can't and the coach it's it, okay I, I get what you're saying you don't need to be high yield but it seems like there is a common overlap if you are to get high yield that you most likely understand these concepts yeah. at a quite deep level so you would most likely be able to help problem solve more situations in a way
0: yeah, so if you if you look at like casters, for example, a lot of them a lot of them have pretty high skill level. Uh, sorry, high, not not skill, but like high um, analytical ability in the game, or like for the most part. Um, but cha- like transferring that to teaching people things in the game, I actually think is a is a much is is, is they're completely two different kinds of skill sets. Um, And it's like, it's why like casters don't always make the best coaches Mm. because it's like, you hear them talk and you're like, yeah, these are all very valid points, but it's like a big skill for casting is like, like building narrative. Whereas like a big, like coaching, you don't have to do that. It's, it's two different skill sets while simultaneously looking like they could be interchangeable. It's, it's not like that at all. So
2: yeah I mean I totally and one thing that's been fascinating for me Simon is that so I feel like I am such a better coach than I was for the for the past, past few years even though I haven't watched a single scrim yeah. because I've honed in so much into the the very specific like underlying concepts of the game from a from a player's perspective, perspective sorry and I've really focused hard on solo queue and that example you said to me before about mm-hmm. you and Spooks, where you know the assassin needs to be able to test the wave and position aggressively. And if they can't do that, then the mage is going to clear the wave, that'll lead to a snowball effect, and the jungle will die. Like you back in the day, yes, there was a f- there was a framing issue. Obviously, you could have framed it better through wording. Mm-hmm. But I also think there was a there's a lack of knowledge there. You don't understand the concept deep enough. In the first place to really understand what's at play to be able to articulate it. And it felt like for me and for most coaches, and like this is kind of for casters, there's a massive, massive difference. And I'll say that the equivalent is say a let's just say a caster's overall game knowledge is to a master tier level. I'd Mm -hmm. say that's quite fair. As we know as challenger nowadays, the gap, the skill gap between a master tier, low master tier player to a high challenger player is Astronomical, like mm. it, it, I believe it's it's incredibly big. Now, the the difference in there in the terms of the knowledge isn't like the our uh, overarching concepts. It's the granular. It's the gr- the really small details that contribute to bring that concept or bring that concept to life. It's what happened. This happened specifically to to bring that thing to to fruition. Mm. And for me this year, and maybe this is probably probably been a big um, reason why XL want to keep you around. And I, I would, I would assume that why you would make such a good coach is that you have that understanding of the granular and mm. maybe, a, a, and for me, and the question I'm getting to now is that now that you've had the opportunity to coach, have you found that your game knowledge has actually, even at a granular level has increased, even though you haven't specifically been focusing on it? It's, it's a weird question, but for me, Things have made more sense because I've gone the other way around. I've gone from coaching to now really focusing on playing. You've mm-hmm. gone from playing to really focusing on coaching. Have you found that there's a um, there's a point in which it clicks? There's a point in which, like, ah, oh, I can actually really understand why this situation is happening. And I never understood, I, I never really understood why this was so replicable or why it wasn't replicable. Have you found this to be the case for you, or is this still something you're kind of figuring out? I don't know if I'm articulating my
0: myself. No, no, no. Yet. I think know you, you have. Um so you yeah. There, there's actually I can't remember if it's a quote or where I heard this before, but unless you can actually teach something to someone, you don't understand the concepts well enough. Right? And and exactly like the same the same example that I had um, with like sam where i just said you like you just have to know is because i couldn't explain the five steps that would come after me not being able to contest the wave in properly in a cohesive manner to be able to transfer that knowledge or be able to teach that knowledge it's only it's only since i've taken a back step and i've been like okay what what like why is this important, or why is this important? And and it's like, what does this lead to? How can this lead to this? Like, what's the counter to this? I, it's like the way, and uh, and the other thing that I will say is that working with Young Buck this year, um, and the, the the things that um, he like like just literally naming concepts, it's like, is obviously yeah Just having, so, yeah, like, just this is, having this
3: concept
1: is and then we can apply this to all these situations. yeah
0: it's it's like it's like the and then the trans the the transferable knowledge from like understanding this one concept to the other aspects of the game so that it's not like you have a hundred different concepts throughout the entire game that you have to keep mm. track of minute by minute it's like this can be applicable to this because it's like it's just it's just a transference of pressure like for example or whatever but just actually naming concepts and having them be applicable like that is something that I never had as a player. Never. It's like, we, sorry, it was like, we had, sorry, we had like one or two things that we would come. It's like, if you, if you wanted to get something on like the other side of the map on, this is like chiefs. If you wanted to get something on the other side of the map, but you wanted to keep people locked up in a specific area on the other side of the map, we'd say like, I can't remember, I think it might have been Sam or, or Swiper or something, he coined this, but it was like, they just said, oh, like, tickle them or whatever. And so, like, the like four other people over here would, like, keep, the like, the whole team relatively engaged whilst the split pushers, like, would take everything on the other side of the map. And, like, something something as, like, basic as that, we had, like, a meme name for because we never got taught the concept and we just had to do it. Um, but it worked, right? That worked. Yeah, but, but it's like, but then legitimately teaching that to somebody else and and Mm. giving it like a serious name or stuff like that Mm. is is it's just so you can you can cover so much more content like you can become such a better player and it's and then and then you can have a concept for minute five that's applicable at like minute 40 right and it's like and and then the play the player as well it's on them to be able to carry the concepts into other aspects of the game when when you've taught them that as well so yeah um, I I think that I've learned a lot more about the game I, I don't know if I've learned more about the game or if I've been able to articulate it because it's like a lot of this is just kind of pattern recognition and then being able to verbalize it so um, something something that I realized when I was trying to teach someone something about laning two majors against one another uh, like Oriana syndrome or something like that so you've got you've got like the skill shots and everything that is like its own mini game in itself and then you have how you're csing minions and the thing the thing was it's like whoever gets the lead in the matchup you can you can almost put it down to how they're like they're auto attacking and the pattern that they're auto attacking so it's like if i'm ahead at on csing because i've got an extra auto in or something then that means i can now harass you on the auto, on like your cs auto because i've i've established the pattern of the lane with my auto-attack at the beginning. And you are now... Unless you give up that minion, you can't reclaim control of the pattern in the mid lane. And that's something that's, like, really, really small, but something I'd never verbalized to anyone before. It's just something that, like, I figured out through intuition. Intuition, yeah. Yeah, and then applied to my gameplay. But I... Would never have really thought about it had I not tried to explain it to somebody else.
2: I've had the exact same experience. That's, that's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. Like there's these things that you would have done, and like these things that you did intuitively that you had no idea that you were actually doing. Yeah, and you didn't know what to call it. You did. You just felt good. Right? It yeah. it felt right to do, and that's been the exact same experience for me. I mean,
1: goodness, we always have those conversations. I love it. Saying how much we don't realize we know about the game. Cause I mean, we'll work a lot with lower, lower yellow players. Right. Mm. I and mean, obviously our content's like tailored for that. We have to like, like literally get on the PowerPoint slide of like, I got to explain this champion. Okay. How do I explain? It? It's like, okay, actually, no, I do this because of all these things that I take for granted that I'm doing subconsciously, but someone who's platinum doesn't understand these concepts. Yeah. And, um, but the, the funny thing is, is you can still apply, you can still, you should, you still need to actually explain those things to pro players. To, again, you need to get back to like a granular level. And my, yeah. my question always is to you to, I mean, I mean, if I look at you, right, like like you're saying that you think that the way you frame things back as a player in 2016 was like you could have done a lot better job. But, I mean, mm. the funny thing is I would say that you're probably more one of the most articulate players um in terms of all, all the people that I knew in O's, but you still think you did a bad job, right? So mm. how could you expect anyone else, any 18, 19, 20 Even like, you know, I mean, even I think Mick, even now, like Curtis and I say, we sometimes struggle to articulate concepts and we're literally trying to be teachers, coaches right now, right? How could you, is it possible for someone to have that skill or do they need, like, does there need to be figures in the scene like coaches? And is this just the importance of coaching, you know, 30 year old plus players that you can respect to be able to articulate things or can't, could you ever have worked it out as chiefs together? If you were like different type of people, you guys had a better team bond. Was that possible?
0: I think you, so it's like there's always, um, yes, you can, because, because that's how, like, there's a lot of innovation that happens that isn't coaching. Like, there's a lot of innovation in the game that, that comes from like a playing group. Like, if you look at G2, it's probably not just, um, it, it like, it, it's probably a combination of the two, right? It's like they come together and they're like, okay, well, like, this wave's neutral. We can ignore it. We can go mid, like, we, like, or, or whatever. And that's, if you're if you fostered an environment where you're mature enough to be able to have those kinds of conversations, and that's great. the the problem is it's like when you don't have that. I think that, literally, if we're if we're if we're actually just talking about brain development, I think it's very very hard to have that level of introspection when you're at 18. I think that like, unless you've had an experience earlier on where you've you've had to you've had to delve deep within yourself or, or you have this a level of empathy for people or, or whatever it is where you can, you can connect to somebody and you can explore ideas. I think it's actually something that you're taught as a person that isn't a lot or, or comes to you a lot later on in life after you've had a lot more experience.
1: So it must be learned through experience. You can't, you couldn't figure this out together. Um, again, you're, <laughs> the key word you, you use there is maturity, right? Mm, yeah. And brain development. Yeah. So it's just not – and then yeah. basically it's just not possible with an 18 to 19, 20-year-old unless you had external help or even okay. if you had external help, it wouldn't be possible.
0: All prior experience. I think that it's – I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find an 18 to 20-year-old that can properly self or properly self-analyze, have that retrospective insight. Like I think, I think there needs to be – like people need to go through trials in life to be able to have – to be able to see that or be able to explain these things that they, they have within themselves. It's like, we were talking, like when you're talking, when you were talking about like teaching people concepts that are intuitive to you, it's like, when you think about throwing a ball or whatever, and you think about all the physics that goes into actually like throwing a ball and like, if you're aiming it at at a specific point and like how in like, it's just throwing a ball, right? Like you pick it up and you throw a ball. And and you just, tell a to just throw the ball. Yeah. Just. But you're 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 accounting for like the arc of your arm, like the strength behind your mm. arm, like you're accounting for gravity, like the whole time, like you've just you just know gravity because you've experienced it your whole life, right? It's like you don't have to like. Might not be the best example because almost everyone can kind of throw a ball, but like the level of expertise that you, to which you can throw a ball, like, depends on how much you think about it and like what you consider with it. And there's in level. the same way that – yeah, there's levels to throwing a ball in the same way that there's levels to league. It's like I can pick up a ball and throw it, and it's like whatever. But I, I'm not thinking about, like, anything else. I'm not thinking about any of the physics with it. And maybe, maybe like, you don't. But to throw a ball well, you have to consider a lot more things. And, mm. and it's like – and that comes through practice, and that comes through time.
2: Yeah. And this, it's actually – you know, you, before you are talking about, you know, what is and isn't possible with players and things like that, Hmm. I mean, now given your experiences and now actually having the opportunity to, to coach for an entire year, what are qualities that you think a 18, 17, 18, 19 year old up and coming player should have? What do you look for as a coach?
0: Um, perspective. I think, I think like perspective and maturity are really, really, really like undervalued. Um... I think, because because it's like okay, the mechanical stuff is great. Like having having like a f- great like that's that's a given. You need to have a fantastic like mechanical capability, or else you're not going to become a pro player. I always so, think of it
1: this way as well. at the end of the day, Uzi and stuff mm-hmm. like Faker and stuff. They were 18. They probably had none of this stuff. They're world champs.
0: Yeah, I, I. But it's like, and but you can you can foster like the maturity and stuff like that. But it's a bonus if you if if two players with equal mechanical ability come to me, and one of them and it's difficult to, to get in, like, a an like interview or whatever, but, like, if one of them can display a level of insight and the other one can't and they have the same mechanical ability, I'm going to take the one that can display insight. Because that that just means, like, that skill set shows that, like, you have the maturity to take criticism and you have the maturity to develop a lot quicker. Which, in like, in this game is, like, if you can outpace, like, everyone else like, if you can learn things quicker than everyone else, you're going to be better than everyone else. Because the game, the game hasn't been figured out, and you, you can, you, like, it's consistently evolving. And the quicker you can apply concepts, and the quicker you can learn them, the better you'll be.
1: I think better you'll be. Um, I think I think you know how I use that example of like Faker and Uzi and stuff like that. I mm. think that the stuff that you're talking about, perspective inside, that will dictate the length of your career. So mm. you can be very good in short bursts of time. And this is why I think we've seen such a huge turnover in, um, in eSport. I mean, there's many reasons. I mean, you know, we can talk about burnout and, like, just the perception of age. I mean, we can all talk about that. It's, like, we're viewed as, like, boomers, like, washed up, right? But it's, like, you know, does that, is that really, you know, the case? Like, were we beaten down because of the stereotypes, right? But, um, well, if you think about it, sorry to interrupt, Nathan, but if you think
2: about it, what other sport requires you to play thousands of games?
1: Yeah, well, well, I mean, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't you 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 think that you could convert a game of League of Legends to a, a drill or a practice? Does that not overlap? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the thing about physical sports is you actually physically can't train
3: exactly. You have as to as much recover. as you could
1: theoretically from League, you know. And at the end of the day, Korean players, you know, you know the way. I mean, with the way we all got good, we just played eighteen hours a day, you know. Mm. Like Koreans, that's why they do it. Like, pretty much everyone has gone through that phase, but you simply can't do that for physical sports. I mean, does that affect burnout? Like, um, is, it, is, it inevitable, is it inevitable that a player can't be go past the age of 23, 24, 25 because of burnout? Or is it again, is it this – they had the lack of perspective, insight, um, being able to self-reflect, to be able to have them have long careers?
0: So I – Yeah, so I with, – with the – well – I'm just gonna take it like I'm just gonna say that um, I've done I've had a lot of moments and whatever that I've been allowed to have that introspection and the thing the thing that I my conclusion was that I didn't want to play as much right like that so so that was the end of like that was basically the end of my career because I was like I don't have the passion for it anymore I can identify that based on like the the stuff that that I've gone through I don't want to play it as much anymore and that's fine right so so that led that led to to me retiring and then going into coaching um as for longevity and everything of players i think that like yeah as you said like you there's a there's a physical restraint to to physical like you can't continuously like run a drill in like a physical drill because you just tire too much and it becomes exhausting um i don't think that like Mentally, because a lot of the game is mental, because the only physical side of, of League is, like, stamina, endurance, and, and like, your fingers, and, your, your like, your general health, right? As for, like, mental exhaustion, I think that that is something that, as a race, we actually are only just discovering the implications of in the last, like, 20 years or whatever. Because these concepts of of like burnout and overworking and and all this stuff is something that was actually never really paid a lot of attention to historically speaking in in humanity's history right it's only within like the last kind of yeah 50 years or whatever like i can't like i'm not sure of the time frame that like mental health and everything has entered public discourse
1: and, and why do you, why is that? is that just because of the internet, social media, people working longer hours, you have to hustle more to get ahead. Um, no, I think it's, I th- physical jobs anymore.
0: Yeah. I think, I think if you look at like, um, if you look at like the hours that people used to work through, like the industrial revolution and stuff, it was probably like, probably a lot more than what people are doing now. Right. It's like, more. really? Yeah, well I mean or like the labor was a lot more intensive than what oh, you were doing. Of course, labor's more right? intensive. Yeah. yeah. And it's like and you would work in factories for like 15 hours a day and stuff like that and you would physically burn out and like you, you like you would snap and then like but like no one cared because you were you were dispensable. And it's like and it's just through like uh an importance on like well in western society like more of importance on like human rights and like everything like that it's like just where, like the way that societies evolved to where we are now means that there's more time to reflect on on like the brain and, and 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 the mental side of a lot of things, um, whereas before you you didn't really have that because people were just a lot more expendable, um, and so it's very difficult to say like what the maximum input for like a pro player can be because mm. like it's very difficult to determine that. But I would say that like if it, like in like eight hours a day of oh, very very intense mental stimulation, like. Over a prolonged period of time is probably the main reason for burnout. Okay,
3: yeah.
1: So you're saying the last 30 years, I mean, it's really been mental work. We're more moving towards mental work versus physical. And physical, you can, you know, cap the I mean, you your muscle, your arms just don't work
0: anymore. So yeah. you stop it. Mentally, how do you do that mentally?
3: That's actually yeah. such a good question. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's like, no one, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no that. measure. There's no measure. It's like you can have a, you can have an estimation that like, like you read a study that's like, we only focus for like, really three hours a day like you get the most out of like an intense three hour session and then it's like you're cooked for the rest of the day and everything else you do after that is is on diminishing returns right but fact like is it i don't know i I, like it's still disputed there's like it's like there's too much there's too much work being done for you to have like an equal figure so it's like people like especially like korean and and uh south korean culture is like Work in work till you work till you drop. Work till you can't do it anymore, and and that's what they do. And then that's why like they there's there's just burnout. Uh, that's why that's what, what I think. So it's like, how do you get the most out? Like I'm trying to get the most out of the players that I have now, without causing serious implications for them in the future.
1: So would you say so you're trying to get the most out of your plays in the? As little time as possible—is that what you're trying to achieve? No, at, or still...
0: If I were trying to get it out as little time as possible, I like I would enforce things that would make them play up to like fifteen hours a day, because it's yeah. like it's like, do if 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 you want quick the quickest results as quick as possible, you just put in. I feel like I feel like you put in more time because even the diminishing returns mean that like, still they're, they're still, like there's still like... there's still something coming through, yeah. right? But you're still building something, like you're still. Backing up those myelin sheaths, you know, but like the longevity of their careers, I think will be severely hampered if mm. if you do that.
2: So, what? What? what are you, how strict are you as a coach? Like, what is it like over for you at, in the academy, your team? Like, mm. what do you? What is enforced? And what isn't enforced? How loose loose is
0: it? So the expectation. So in the second split, um, to kind of get a standardized. Uh, practice time outside of scrims we had a minimum solo queue um uh like a quota, yeah where i would i would get there all the opgg accounts that they have um so, all the sorry League of legends accounts that they would have and then i would go at the beginning of the week we would set goals like three games with this champion three games with this champion to make it to make it more productive um, and then Come one week, I would go through the OPGGs, like, across all their accounts, like, list all the games they played, listed all the champions that they played on those accounts, um, and then present that back to them at the at the start of the week. And we'd go through what worked, what didn't, what we would drop. Um, but 25 games was the minimum that we would do through the week. Um, and then if you got more, like, if, if you... Um, Uh, like hit the like had the most games or whatever rather than trying to have like because i didn't want to i didn't want to say like the more you played the better it was kind of thing but i would be i would let those players kind of like dictate more dictate their own practice time a lot more because there's just a, a higher volume of time that they're spending so i wouldn't make like Everyone, everyone would have the same amount of champions and the same amount of games to play within them, but these players would be able to have more fun playing the game because they wouldn't be forced to be playing specific champions that would right. be more work-like. So if you did play more, you would have more f- like fun. More or flexibility. Whatever. More flexibility, which was the reward kind of in itself, but it wasn't right. actively promoted.
2: Okay. Yep. What... Did you have a coaching philosophy going in? Like you, um, did you have like core principles or core um, sayings or messages and things like that that you that really kind of?
0: I think I think one of the big things that I had when I when I was a player was that a lot of the well, some of the coaches that I had tried to push an agenda on the players that didn't fit, um, and so I was very conscientious of that going into it in that. I always saw my job as a coach was to bring the strengths of the team to like together in, in, and, and have them, have them work with each other and have them learn each other to an extent. Um, while simultaneously like teaching concepts and stuff like that, incorporating the players play styles into those concepts within boundaries. So there was something that I picked up in order, which was always be predictable to your teammates. That was like, that was something that I I feel like it might have been the thing that I said the most to the players this year was if they ever caught their own teammate off guard with a play that they were making or something that they were doing that it was that it was incorrect that they had communicated it incorrectly or um, they didn't know well each other well enough to do it because if you're giving your your team the same amount of time to react to a play as the enemy team then you've done something wrong. Um, I had that was that was something really big um, trying to create yeah just an environment where the players felt comfortable in the strength that they had and me not coming in and saying like we're gonna play tank top like this year this year this year this year like going in with preconceived notions I think is a mistake even if you have a if a strong idea about what the meta is and what the meta should be played like you should always be willing to place your player strengths over it
1: Interesting. We've talked about this a bit on more on the podcast a bit. In terms of the person who's like the cultural architect, at the end of the day, it, it people sort of, you know, we're, we're designed to be either like, you know, followers, humans, right? Like we're, it's mm. either you're like a leader or like you're a follower, right? Does it, yeah. does it have to come from a player or is it from a coach? And well, I mean, it, does it kind
0: of be work based on each team? Like is it specific situations? I think it comes from charisma. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think you can almost measure it. In, in whoever has the most charisma in a, in an environment generally dictates how the environment flows. Um, and that's why so that you
1: charisma automatically, the the person with the most charisma automatically is the leader. Is that what you're saying? I, th-
0: I think like, you'll find that they come pretty hand in hand with one another. Yeah. I think that like a lot of lead, like the reason that almost every leader has uh, an aura of charisma about them isn't coincidental. Um, and the reason, the other, it's why like a captain will ob- almost always be the most vocal or whatever, or the most charismatic. It's because they can get people to follow them. Um, and so you you can, like, you need someone in the team to be able to have people follow them, whether that is the coach or whether that is the captain, like you, you need one or else you have six people that do nothing. Which
1: and, one does like, not influence the player or the
0: coach? It depend it, it just it depends on how it depends on how the person acts so if if there's two equally charismatic people in, in your in the player and the coach right um, and oh there's so it's just it's just too many different factors but I would say that like generally speaking like a player would respect like I don't know it comes, it's so many like it's so many like inherent biases and stuff like that but a player yeah. always understands a player a lot more
2: well that's me and Nathan Tons, right that the yeah. best player or our th- I mean I don't know if this is your theory as well Nathan is it I don't know if we've spoken about this but like the the best player
1: on the team generally has the most weight to swing around in a way and but i mean this is why i want to start to get out it's like okay we talk you talk about charisma simon mm. but i mean there's got to be a level of competency so let's say if that person's charismatic but they're the worst player on the team can they ever mm. be the leader and have the most influence i mean just just think about the times of the players that you've mm. worked with or or you know the players that you just sorted sort of you weighted their opinion more than someone else in your team i mean at the end of the day that's that's definitely happened yeah um, Who did you lean to people that were more skilled or more charismatic? Let's use Radia, for example. I think he's a great example because I would would say Radia is a very charismatic person, right? Yep. But he was by far the best player in O's for a long time.
0: Uh, But I think this is going to work right against your point (laughs) because I favored Bryce's opinion a lot more of the time over him. Really? Because Bryce was more charismatic? I had a better, I think, I think when we were playing, I had a better personal relationship with Bryce.
1: Okay. So then, relation, actually, I mean, okay. So, yes, this sort so of that, It's
0: It's, it's so point. many, there's so many different yeah, factors. I, I think this
1: is, this is hard. I mean, but I would also, <laughs> argue. okay, what about when you first yeah. joined Team Unity with Radia? Yeah. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, Radia 2016 was not Radia 2014, 2015. True, right? True. So then you could yep. be sort of Store in that. I mean, again, I'm just I'm just questioning. It could still be the case that because EGM wasn't on your team till 2016, 20 yeah, to 2016, mm. you know? Yeah. 20 so
0: 20 2013 2014 radio. Um I had a lot of respect for radio as a player and a person. Always I always did. Um but maybe until towards the end. But anyway, um, you see
1: towards that, but you just he,
0: there, Simon, towards the end so then of course Egypt but 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 he but he was never he never felt like the leader of the team okay interesting and and in in in, in i don't know who the leader was in the early that, like i actually i can't like there was no standout personality mm. in 2014 20 like 2013 2014 that i can think of that like we stood behind I thought it was like a, it was almost like a coalition of five people.
1: It, it doesn't have to be stand behind necessarily. It's like no, okay. I, yeah. Oh, who you, had the
0: most weight? Like, but I, I don't. It dep- Like for me, it was, uh, it was, it was who I could understand the most when they were explaining a point. Like, like that's actually just what it came down to. Mm. If if you had if you had two people arguing over a point, but one of the one of them I could understand more, I would side with the person that I had more understanding with. I, I, like, I, I don't know how to... No,
2: but I think that's all different. The reason this is all different mm. back then is because this was not a proper environment. Uh, this yeah. was all online. Like, I don't think you could get a proper indication of what it would be like now. Like, if you we were to somehow transfer that exact those exact players into this exact time, and you're in the same gaming house or, like, a team environment, I think it would be a completely different situation. Because if you had a player that was mm. that dominant as they were then, like a radio... So for those of our audience who don't know, radio was an 80 carry that we had in Oceania, which is legendary. Like he was so far ahead of everyone solo- in the solo queue ladder. Mm-hmm. He was just unbelievably so far ahead of everyone. If you had a player like that now, who was like rank one on your server in, in NA or EU, and was that dominant, you know, let's, let's, let's actually bring it to what it would be like now. Because I feel like back then it's just so different.
0: Okay. So if you look at Magi Felix then, Okay, so he's the fanatic. Uh, so he's a academy. fanatic academy. Ms. He got rank Liner. one. So he got rank one in multiple different roles mm. in in EU West. Mm. Now this is hearsay. This isn't. So I've never worked with him personally or anything like that. But based on what, from my understanding, he is not a vocal member of his team, right. and like he he defers a lot to other people in the team. That like so, I can't speak to the dynamic in that if he says something when somebody else says something, like does his opinion carry more weight? I don't know, but he isn't he isn't the charismatic person in the team that people follow. In fact, when we played against him a lot of the time, he was put on a very like very much so like a utility role, whether or not by like his choice or not. Like that was that was kind of like I I saw that as like speaking to more like a, like a personality thing hmm. not so much as like the meta or anything like that. It was like very interesting to see how like such a dominant player in the region didn't carry that through to a competitive environment at all.
2: Fascinating.
0: Yeah. And, and so you think that would have
1: come from so he cuz he's not he's not choosing the champions that he wants to play it's more coming well, from Well, I don't you know. I'm stuff. not sure.
0: I'm not sure.
2: That's no so insight into that. Th- 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 I was actually listening to I think it was it was like a Thorin and Monty and they were talking to Bwippo on like one of their I don't know what it's, the show's called Someone's Inside or something like that. Mm. And, and they were talking about Knights at this tournament, recent worlds, and how mm. Knights, you know, he's known for his Akali and his assassins and his carry champions. And he was put on like Oriana
3: like mm.
2: nearly every game. Like he yep. was playing a utility approach nearly every game. And yep. Comparatively to ch- even like teams like Sooning, they were picking Angel Akali whenever possible. And it got me wondering, and, and I, it's funny you bring that up because I was thinking to myself, you, if you actually watch Nightstream, I don't know if you've seen mm. it you watch Nightstream. Like he I seems like him, an yeah. he seems like an incredibly passive, soft spoken type of guy. He's not yeah. like a Doimbee, you know, even not yeah. like a rookie. Rookie even seems a lot more, I would assertive. say, oh, assertive. Yeah, that'd be the right word. Yeah. Um, and it got me thinking. Does, does does the player's personality affect how much priority yeah their weight? I've been mm. you know in draft and it seems like a similar thing was happening with Magic Felix. Yep. Um which kind of lends to the, the argument that to say that charisma does does mean a little bit more than competence, overall competence.
1: Mm. Well, I okay, so if we think about best case scenario, I mean Curtis, we you and I agree on this, is that I mean the best case scenario is that the leader is the number one in skill and most charisma. Yes, like, able to, like again. We look at examples like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, mm. Tom Brady, and stuff like that. These are the cultural architects. So if someone like Magic Felix is he going to be very capped on his career? He could be the best player in the game, but if he doesn't learn this whole charisma thing, he will never be able to lead the team.
0: Oh, it's it comes from like this inner confidence that you have, mm. and whether or not you get that, whether or not you get that through the like through the game, through the performances that you have, or you already have it, like. I, it's up to the individual because I'm not sure, like I, I don't know that much about like NBA or anything, but I don't know whether or not Michael Jordan or Kobe or any, any other, sorry, athlete that you mentioned, like I'm not sure whether or not like their personality shifted after they, after they were lauded as like these prodigies or whether or not they already had that going in.
2: Um, well, If you look at their background, their history, mm. they were, they were fierce competitors from day dot. Like Kobe Ryan talks yeah. about, like when he was on, he wasn't, this was before he was in an NBA when he was in college and things like that. Yeah. Like his mentality going in was like, I'm going to show everyone that I'm a different breed by yeah. putting in so many hours and set the scene from day one. Yeah. When everyone okay. else was eating in the cafeteria, he was grinding and like yeah. training more. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it does. It's, it's Can you even? learn like how's how do you develop that i mean actually more i guess practical question in your team is there a player that maybe struggles with confidence or maybe they're not that assertive and um how are you are you working towards how are you working as a coach to bring that out in them if that's even the
0: case um so something i won't i won't go into specifics but Mm -hmm. yes and the way that i tried to do it was by validating a lot of the um, like a lot of positive reinforcement and validating a lot of the ideas that they had, and if they were if they were uncomfortable to bring something up, I would bring it up and credit them with it in front of everyone. So I would try and build them up so that they felt more confident in their own ability, and then therefore become more assertive in the game. Did you see results across the year? He was inconsistent, but towards the end, I would say more consistent with like his own calls and like his confidence in his in his ability. Yes.
1: Right. Um. You think positive? So this is another one about like you know when you look after, over a game, the positive reinforcement versus obviously looking at all the mistakes and be like you suck here, we suck here. This is all yeah. negative. Yeah. Is there do you need to balance that? Do you think that um, one needs to be you need to have more of one or the other? Because because yeah. you could also argue as well, a certain type of player doesn't want any sort of positive reinforcement,
0: or are they just I oh, yeah, I as a player I didn't really like positive reinforcement. That's um right. yeah. the the thing is is that when you are so when when you when I'm doing macro review, um and I think that what they've done, like it, it depends on the situation. Like when I think what they've done is like incorrect, but it works because they're just better players, right? Mm. I'll say, okay, this worked here. Think about it from their perspective. Like, what would you have done if if you were if you were in their position? And what else could we have done instead of take this, right? So it's it's not like that. that it's not so much a criticism, but I I try to expand how they think about like. I can ask, I can ask you high quality questions. Yeah, you that's a good example of a high quality question. That's Make a high quality
2: question. question.
0: So that's, that's what I love. That's, that's like, my
2: favorite style of coaching.
0: Yeah, and then but then it's like. What you're, you're right in that people respond to things differently. When I'm doing lane focused review with players, it depends on the person. Um, I generally go into the macro stuff with like. Um, like, I, I always open with like a lot of things, like some things that we did well. I'll pick one or two points that we like fuck up in the mid game and then I'll end it on something decent, like a shit sandwich or whatever, right? right. And then. Um, Something else that I'll do though is be very upfront when a game is just shit from beginning to end. Like, you just have to call a spade a spade. It's like, I'm just like, okay, this game was just a complete write off. Like, there's almost nothing. Like, we did, we moved around that, but they just outperformed us in every single, every single macro decision. We Like, they outmicroed us everywhere. I was, like, from it. it's just I was like, I was like, I was like, guys, shit games happen. Like, mm. like, whatever. Just get over it. Like, don't, don't think about it. Like, it, like review it in 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 the time that you want, but like we made the right we made a lot of the right macro moves. It just came down to mechanical ability at some points, or we made the wrong macro moves and we got outperformed. Like in macro, it's like sometimes games, like there's just a massive lapse in judgment that happens, or an enemy team is having a really good day and snowballs it incredibly well. Um, I always I always like to think about league as like. Uh, as like as dance it's like someone makes a move and then you make like the next step and then they make the next step and then it's like whoever slips on like on part of their routine like faces the consequences of that and then it's about riding yourself and then having like the resilience to like go back out and and take those steps to like perform again it's like cuz cuz you can teach macro to like a almost like a like a very very high level but it's like a lot of the time it's just like how much of it how much of it is is memory like how much of it can we actually mm. implement at, a, at this point without faltering um and you see like the the top teams in the world it's like someone does this this is the counter move this is the counter move this is the counter move and then someone doesn't counter something properly and the game snowballs the other way um and it's just like how well how well do you understand the concepts that we've we've been we've been teaching or well, we are taught you- order
2: how do you foster resilience?
0: Um, I think you. I think you just have to, like the thing that I was talking about with um, knowing when you're shit, like knowing when you're shit, and not thinking that like that's that's regular, like that's an irregularity. So when you have when there's a bad game, like when I say that the game is shit and there's almost nothing we can take away from it, that doesn't happen very often. And and so what you do is it's like you frame it in a way that like this is the exception this is the bad exception right and so when we're playing badly that's the exception we're usually good and then and then so you try and you try and reinforce that framework for the players and you you have a baseline of you have this you have a standard of reinforce a standard of not excellence but like competency and then when we fall below that like identify it know that that happened and then just like move on from it don't dwell on it because that brings everything down.
3: Right.
1: So Speaking you said, of resilience and dwelling as well, we talk about this a bit as well, Curtis, about the the impact of scrim results on a player's confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, going into that week of, you know, your professional game, do you think, I mean, how do you try and, well, firstly, do you think that that's a bad thing of tying your, the way you're, you're actually progressing as a team? Like, are you learning based on a win or a loss? Um, I mean, firstly, is that, is that important to sort of make sure you're not focused on the result or the learnings and um, mm. how do you, how do you make sure players aren't tunneled on that? Let's say you go zero three in scrims. It's very yep. difficult as a player. I mean, we know this. Yep. to, to still, I mean, even like sometimes you could literally be getting no, even though you could learn out of those games, your ego, everything, these players are shit that I'm versed in. How do you mm. deal with
0: that? Um, so what I try and have in scrims, and I wasn't as consistent with this as I, probably will be for next year but what i tried to have in scrims was defensive and offensive goals um so let's say like you're getting shit stomped uh by whoever like we like either either someone in the game or like i'll gently remind them that like the thing that we're going to be focusing on this game is like how to block the enemy from snowballing as effectively right and that's something that like i would cover at the beginning of the week like different kinds of movement or like when to sacrifice waves to protect like turrets and stuff like that so the mindset needs to shift when you're losing to how much is it that i'm going to be getting out of the game rather than stomping your enemy whereas like when you're winning you can practice like baron deploys or like baron setups or or like buff contests and stuff like this it has to shift you can't be contesting like you can't be setting up for baron when you're like 5k behind so you always need a goal for the player to be working towards and that helps take them that helps separate them. And make them focus inwards on like how they're playing rather than externally on, on what the enemy team are doing. You're you just try doing, and make it about them.
2: Yeah, you're actually doing something that I actually read in a reading this like poker book recently. So this poker coach. And one of the tactics he used with his clients is, let's just say, and this is actually what I did. I, I failed to do this, sorry, as a coach. And it's only something I learned recently. It was what most teams do is that they only... Ever focus on improving on their strengths, like how to get better at winning. You know, like when we're ahead, how do we how do we get ahead, and all the all this stuff. But the whole other and and, in for solo queue, this is yeah, this is like literally when ahead, how do I translate leads? Is even just like taking good trades, things like that. But there are games as we know, you get behind, and there's really not much you can do. Yeah. Um. So the other end of improving is um improving your weaknesses or. Losing, losing gracefully. better, yeah, yeah, losing gracefully, right? Yeah, and um, that's what you're doing. I mean, I don't know if it's actively or or or, or, or yeah, obviously actively, and um, and it's fascinating because it's a whole nother skill within itself. Yeah, it's literally it an entire skill. Whether you have to trade, change the way you trade, mm. you have to tr- yeah, obviously sacrifice some parts of the map to make another trade elsewhere, things like that, and. The thing is, though, and I think kind of similar to what Nathan's question is, have there been times where, I mean, this has been the case with Diables, was the case many times, where you go through slumps where it's Hmm. not your meta. You know, your team's just really struggling to find their identity. People are having champion pool issues. They're a bit off. What can, what do you do as a coach to ensure that it doesn't just drastically go downhill? Like this is, I guess, a combination of multiple things, not just losing scrims.
0: So first of all, I'll preface it by saying that I think it going, like experiencing that happening is something that like everyone, everyone, it has to happen at some point. It's
1: inevitable. Mm -hmm.
0: It is, it is inevitable, but the response that you have to it and how you can get people out of it varies considerably depending on the dynamic that you already have established within the team so i'll I'll say two examples from this year so i came in to this year not confident in my coaching ability whatsoever so like i had a plan but i didn't know if it was going to be if it was if anything was going to work or anything like that like i i had things that i wanted to teach i had an idea of how i wanted the environment to be but I was a coach from from OSE that a lot of the players hadn't heard about. So I had to, like, so they weren't going to respect me off the bat. That's not what Western culture is like. Like, you need to earn respect in Western culture. Whereas, like, it's almost, from what I've heard, is almost given by default to coaches, like, in, in Eastern cultures or what, maybe. Um, and so I came in into a team where the environment had already been established. Sorry, I'll just close out because there's a dog getting ballistic. Um, where an environment had already been established and there was a lot of history between the players. And there was only one player that was new and I was new as well. And I, I'll say that the the beginning, we didn't even have a honeymoon period. Like the opening, the opening set of practice was... Like I, I couldn't like... I won't. I won't name names because, like, they, like if they ever watch, like they know who they are. But like, um, they would pause the game after dying like twice, in a, or like a few times in lane, and just say this scrim's over and just pause the game. And I and I was, would just be sitting there like in the other room. First couple of scrims. Like this is like your first day, day one, day yeah, two. No, this is this is like yeah, the first week this was happening. And holy I was, like, shit! And I was like, I was like, <laughs> this is. I was like, I've just inherited like a time bomb. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is insane. And then, so I, I pulled the, cause he like so stuff was obviously like going on or whatever. So I, I just spent a lot of effort and time with people that needed it. Um, and as a team, I would say like, okay guys, like I, I would, I would implement rules. Like we're not FFing before 15 minutes right? but like, you're not going to run it down or whatever. If, if like, if you're having a bad game, like you're, you're going to be vocal and I'm going to call you out if you're not being it. Like we, like all these, all these ground rules that I thought would already be there. Like I had to take an active effort to implement. And then throughout, throughout the split, like there would be times where like people, even after all of this, and we're not FFing, like they'd go zero for 10. 0 for 10 for 0 or whatever right and then after the game i'd just in pu- like just in public say like did that feel good for you to do mm. like did that feel good to waste everyone's time with this game mm. and then they then after after that like they would then have that moment where it's like wow i'm being like very very selfish or whatever but i mm. like they had like that visceral reaction to like them getting shit on like their ego being bruised and that's how they reacted to it but after like getting called out doesn't really happen I, again after that. Um, so that's
1: mental the, resilience for them. Like, just yeah, not have, yeah, if yeah. If
0: you, if you, if you, if you die, the game isn't over. Like, how self-centered do you have to be to think that? Right. So no, I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, looking at that thing, but again, it's like no, I mean, but like
0: that's that's something that you have to teach. That's like that's mature. That's right. Like that's that's exactly part right. of it, right? And these these um, are eighteen and I and, years
3: and years yeah, years.
0: and I was like that as a player. That's 100%, right, percent, right, mm. like. If so, if I died like three times to Shan Five antics, I'm like fuck this game. I'm like I'm like what's the point? They're mm. just better than us. I can't be bothered. And then or like um and then and then later on so the first half of the year for me this year we went undefeated like we were 18-0 um and then we went 2-0 in the playoffs and then we were up 2-0 in the finals and then we got reverse swept. Mm. Right? So we had we were like 22-0 and then we were twenty-two, three, and we lost the finals, and we lost our first seed for EU Masters and whatever. The three weeks after that were, were like actually like miserable. The trust with, with the trust between like the the thing that we the things that we had built up the whole year fell apart. Like the trust between the teammates dissipated just completely. Um, no one took any responsibility for anything anymore. It was like all the all the positivity and all the all the constructiveness of the first half of the split seemingly faded away over like the finals into like the next three weeks of scrims.
1: Okay, so this is this is really interesting. I really want to explore this because then you could also say the foundation that everything was built off was shaky in the first place. So you yes, you can. You pl- plopped in the, the zero, the reverse sweep, and then everything goes to yeah. I shit. but I
0: I put that down to my own insecurity as like as a coach at the beginning like when i was establishing the foundations i wasn't like convincing enough of it and like all of our success was like snowballed success in that everything if as long as we kept winning everything was going to be okay but as soon as you come into uh, up against like a roadblock like it's just doomed
1: yeah this is what you talked about ages ago in terms of the team culture i mean you could you could talk about this i mean so can you could you perfectly relate this to let's say you chiefs 2016 winning, and then 2017 moving to 2017 Chiefs?
0: Hmm. Kind of, but I will say that 2016 wasn't smooth, like, wasn't smooth for us on Chiefs. I mean, like, I mean
1: any split, even when we win, it's not smooth, but it's smoother than yeah. the right? Yeah, but yeah, it's, true. It's not as not smooth as coming in, was it fourth in 2017 split one, right? Or, or do you think yeah. it's the same? Was the same, or was, it, was, it must have been worse, right?
0: Um... The, 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 the okay so it's like the difference between 20 the end of 2016 and the beginning of 27 the results during the regular split were relatively similar so fourth and fourth the difference was there was this self belief in 2016 that like no matter no matter where we placed in the regular season that we would win and then 2017 happens and for whatever reason right before like maybe 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 I'm I've tinted this in my mind, and so this isn't exactly I hear it. But I also I thought that we were just going to do the exact same thing. And then playing in those games, I remember Ryoma like this was like he, the f- first time that he played real like really well. And I was like, oh shit! Like I you don't have a, I was like I don't have ability in myself. I don't have the confidence in myself at the moment to carry this game. And then. If I and then I wasn't cognizant enough of a player to put that faith onto the rest of the team, and I was like, Oh, if I can't do it, like we're not going to win, which was awful retrospectively, but like is how I thought at the time. And then, uh, and
1: then, so then after that loss, the, the you know, how you said that your team that it was just miserable for was it two, three months with XL Academy? Yeah, it, it was, was, probably, oh, weeks, it was probably, right? probably
0: a month, probably a month, like a month, it was probably like. Because it was from the end of the uh, end of our split to the beginning of EU Masters, which was three, four weeks, like a month, around around that time frame. Um, and during that, I realized that like this this overwhelming optimism and stuff that I'd been doing for a lot of the split, where like it's like listening to everyone, whatever, 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 wasn't going to work here because no one was taking any responsibility for anything. So there were like several things that uh, I tried to do to like do it, but it was like everyone hit their breaking point and then I took every, we I took everyone outside and we just sat around and I was like, speak. Like speak to me. Like what's going on in your head? Like talk like tell me everything that's going on in your head, like all the grievances you have now. And Are we you, went around you and we
1: never did that before up until this point.
0: No no no, I we'd had like honest dialogue with each other, but it was always it was not honest because it was always under the guise of optimism. Because you guys all went in. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But it's so like, that's
1: not that's not honest then, is it? That's they're literally no, it's grinding. it's not.
0: It's not, right? But that but then but then as you were saying, like the foundation was incorrect. Like no. I wasn't confident or like maybe I didn't display enough honesty in terms of criticism earlier on in the season. Whatever it was, like I, I actually, yeah, it, you can you can trace it back to the beginning and like how it wasn't as strong as it should have been, and then eventually we did we had that talk, like things improved a little bit, but it was we needed to do it wasn't enough. I remember, and then and then the actual one of the turning points that we had was we watched like this Dota Two documentary about like I can't remember the guy's name, but like the guy that won the back to back TI cups. Yeah. Um, and how he, like, was in it for years, overcame adversity, whatever, whatever, whatever. Sometimes you just need, like, a, a good story or whatever to to unite you and remember why you're doing it and to give you perspective. And I think that's what they got watching it. And the other thing was that we all did it together. So they all had this shared reflection of themselves on the screen. And they all saw, if they couldn't verbalize it, they saw the insecurities and everything displayed Reflected in themselves, together watching a documentary, and then that bonded or you guys together gave them perspective.
1: That's the key thing. There is that you always think, like sitting in back, every other team's all sunshine and rainbows, right? It's like they beat us, mm. they better us. So that means they must not have all the problems we have. Actually, <laughs> <It'll> no. Be- <laughs> Once no. you realise they do, and it's sometimes even worse. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, again, looking at us, dire wolves I mean, we were just a mess. We were just a band-aid solution after band-aid solution, right? But we're still mm. winning, right? And well, Undefeated and for like two years. Players get in their heads all the time. It's like, yep. this guy slurps this sloop. Go back to your analogy. I still hate yep. that. That affects scrim somehow, you know, because this yep. guy's just annoying me more than someone else, which yeah. is super interesting that you bring that up. It's like, not until you realize other people have the same problems you have, you're mm. like, it's like a waist lifted off your shoulder. It's like, well, i like, oh, yeah. Same amount of,
2: but then I feel like this whole thing kind of comes down to like, and this is like my whole, this is where things get messy to me because what is you got to bring it back to the goal? Mm. What do you what, what's your what's your goal as a coach? Is it to get the best possible results in that split or in that year, or is it to actually value that that player's or that team's performance over the long run? Because I sometimes and as we know, you do those. "Quote unquote conflict sessions," or I mean, you, style you or whatever
1: style it is, on them,
0: right? they're, they're like a, a an ocean. Crutch. Yeah, yeah, they are
2: no, but they open not... up a whole can of worms sometimes. Yeah, they do. Like,
0: mm. they which is why going, of... going, oh yeah, which is why going into split two though, it was like because these are these are the things that have been building up for the whole split. It's why going into the second split, I had like, um, every couple of weeks, like I we would like actively check in like with one another as like a, as as a, as a preemptive kind of thing. Um, and I, I would, or like in the one-on-ones I'd say, talk to me. Like, so they, they, in the one-on-ones it would not only be like the, the stuff that we want to focus on to get you a better player. I was like, tell me the grievances you have with people now. I was like, what's pissing you off. Are you pissed off? Like, is everything fine? Um, like you like, and then and then it's whether or not they trust you enough to open up to you.
2: A question: Do you mm. feel like this is even this is even worth doing? Because like, I, I mean, I've done this. Mm. I mean, I had done yep. this. I've done both sides. I've done the. Let's just pretend we're all sunshine and rainbows when we all fucking hate each other. Yeah. Um. Literally, we're like hatred. Like
0: literally,
1: just the game. We don't care about anything else. I
2: don't you. give. Yeah. I don't even care about you. I just want to win, and yep. I will do whatever it takes to win. Or do we want to like really, you know, let's, let's focus on building actual relationships and like, okay, in order to get into this, because a lot of the time what happens is that um, the way players interpret it in my experience was, Mm. Oh, Simon here is telling me I can be honest about everything. And the first thing that pops into mind, fuck, I hate it when you do that. They'll say it to another, I I fucking hate it when like you do this, this, and it's something that's so minuscule that the Mm. player feels personally attacked Mm. And it's like, why am I, why are you talking about what I eat for breakfast or why are you talking about the way I sit on my chair or the way I talk when like, you're just losing lane every scrim, you know, like it it just becomes like this, like, it's like, why even bring it up? Like, is there a point in which you've, you've thought to yourself where we have, we would have had better results if we had never brought this up? Has this, has this been a thought that has ever come to your mind I like the can of words I will thing. say,
0: I will say that I preface it by, I will, I will like when we did have the talk. I did set some parameters to it. It wasn't a say anything you want. Wasn't like a say, say anything. anything. All right. It wasn't a say. It wasn't a say anything you want. It was a right. like within reason. I'm like, tell me, tell me your thoughts about like why why you think we're we're losing every game. Right. I was like, I like the, the questions that I throw to them, I've specifically tailored so that gotcha. you're within guidelines. That's better. Right? That's better yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm sure you've had this Oh uh, yeah. in your time in order, right? You, um, and Jason, <laughs> you would have had plenty of these experiences yourself. Actually. Yeah. And, and this actually leads me to one of my, fa- this is what I was waiting for. This one specific question was what was your toughest lesson as a, as a coach?
0: I was like
3: coach. Hmm. Topest lesson.
0: Relinquishing control. I was like the 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 hardest part of it was or it was like it was like two it was twofold. So it was like general general inadequacy because I didn't know it wasn't like imposter syndrome or anything. I just didn't actually understand the effect I was having. I was like if I wasn't here, like during the first split, for example, I was like, if I wasn't here, would they have just won anything anyway? Like, am I actually doing anything? Right? I'm like, am I wasting my time being here? So, and then, and then eventually understanding that no, I'm, I'm having an effect. I'm having an impact, like in what they're talking about during the game or like, um, how they're talking to one another or like how they've adjusted their behavior to be more like, empathetic towards one another or more mature or whatever. Like whatever it was, I was like, yes, that that is fine. So that was something that I struggled with for like the first half a little bit. And then also the loss of control that you have where it's like like during the slump, I was like I was like, I don't know what to do to fix this. Um or like during a draft and like a game I'd be like, okay, we've got the things that we want we know we know the game like we know our plan that's it like i've done everything i can i was like now now can they perform like can we just perform on the day like i don't know um and not and learning how to not stress about that because i was like okay yep we've got the draft we want like we we know all the fundament like we we understand the fundamentals of the game are we going to remember that well enough and it's like there's no point thinking about at the time there's no point thinking about all the things that you could have done leading up to it differently it's like you're just in the moment then and like you have to just you just have to live in it obviously afterwards you can go back and like we did just now i can talk about how the foundations at the beginning of the year weren't strong enough but at that point i'm like i just have to focus i just have to be present Mm -hmm. that was that's that's very difficult because i do tend to overanalyze like quite quite a bit like the implications of things in the past, leading to things in the future and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just, you just need to be present. And that was something that I struggled with a a fair bit as well at the beginning, especially.
2: Right. Um, and I'm sure you've also had the opportunity to play a lot of EU solo queue. Mm. What's your, Mm. what's your experiences with EU solo queue coming from OS? Um,
0: so, (laughs) During – during, so, actually, when I got there, it was pretty good. I was like – but I also had this thing where I was like, I need to prove that I'm still decent at the game so that they can see my rank and then, you know, not, like, mm-hmm. actually take what I say is relatively. Was that Challenger? Were you expecting to
1: get Challenger, Grandmaster?
0: I got, like I, got, I got Grandmaster. Mm. And then I was like – okay, good enough. Like, I don't want to... Now Now it's like I'm going to put too much time into playing solo queue and not focusing on what I need to do. Like, mm. my skill set's changed. I, I can't put as much time into this as, like, requires for me to eke out the the little bit and get, get into chell. Like I, like, I need to focus on, on them. Like, they... Like, the five players become my priority rather than my rank. Um, and then when I had a break again during the middle of the year, I found that... I put so much time into league, like almost more time than a pl- like I think more time than when I was a player into league that I had almost zero desire to play. And when I did like play the occasional game every day, I just get, I, there was, there were five days in a row. I would, I would say to myself, I'm just going to log in and play until I lose. And I would log in and the first game five days in a row, there would be someone AFK or running it down. And I would just be like, okay, that's it for the day. But, Generally, generally speaking, the quality, the bar is higher. Like if you, if you just did a side-by-side and like side-by-side, like diamond 4, diamond 4, diamond 3, diamond 3, all the way up to Chell, like the bar is higher across, across a US compared to O's. Definitely. Um, it's like playing against mid laners in, in Grandmaster in grand or, or like Master, I would say like top 10 Chell, like mm. O's. Like, like they could get there just based yeah. on like laning mechanics, um, or based on map understanding, or, or whatever it mm. was. I, I thought that the the bar was higher and more competitive. Mm. Not, yeah, matchmaking was like very fickle for whatever reason over there. It was like challenges would be placed with like diamond ones, like something something went yeah. haywire. But like generally speaking, yeah, the the level of competition was like better than ours. Yeah. Speaking of
1: O queue now, this is what I've been thinking a bit about since the all the NA rosters have been coming out. Um, if we think back to our time, so right now in LCS, um, FBI, Ray, mm-hmm. this is like the you know the 80 carries. I mean Destiny um, and Lost was actually even potentially considered for an LCS position. Um, at the end of the day, we all came from the same. So we played all the same time, and this is when we were really good, right? Yep. Okay, so let's let's just think about that. Literally from O's, like these, at the end of the day, these players, even King, Calvin, Number One Academy, Fudge, okay, you bring mm. Solo SoloQ, we all were in the same environment in our little island in O's in Australia, and somehow, I mean, let's get into the reasons. Why is it that they're taking NA NA LCS spots? I mean, and now we're talking about NA SoloQ versus O SoloQ and versus EU, right? Is NA mm. just significantly worse? I mean, you've played on NA a bit, haven't you, someone? Mm-hmm. When you went out to Yep. I mean, how interesting is that? Is that OS is literally? There's a lot of players who got their start in O Solo and it's and you. I mean, even you just said it right there. Sam. O Solo Queues, not well, bad in, in comparable to EU, but they're getting LCS positions. Mm. Um, or are they all just anomalies? Is it just?
0: But no, no, no. They're not. They're not. They're not, they're not anomalies. It's like there's just an, there's just an elite class of players on every server, and it's like you the elite level that you have on os is just much smaller compared to eus
1: just
2: the like, amount of-
0: yeah the amount the amount of very very talented players in eu is just so much higher than os and it's like all these players across the world it's like at this elite level like you you like obviously there's there's rankings amongst them as well but like to break into it it's like you only have a fraction of the population in each server and it's and it's like these these top like 10 15 players in os are good enough to compete in the NALCS, like they are it's just it's just like it's it's just understanding concepts and like understanding the competitive environment there and and like the pace at which they play is the only thing they need to learn like for the most part like their wave their wave understanding and everything like that is pretty much on par um and that also comes down to like the availability of tools that you have now as well so, um, like Proview, which hasn't actually come back in, but like that, that, I think that went a long way to addressing a lot of the. If you knew how to implement stuff from it, that went a long way to addressing like a lot of imbalances between like pro players in regions. I think Proview was insane. I, I like. I think it's one of the best. How do you use Proview? Doing. Um, dip between a player, like as when I was a player, or like yeah, me? when you were a player. Uh, so I would look at, depending, it depended on the part of the game that I thought that I was lacking in. So if I thought my laning was bad with a specific champion or whatever, then I would go and just like copy paste what somebody else was doing into, into like my own gameplay. I actually think I struggled a lot towards like the end of my playing career with like the identity that I had, Mm because I, I didn't know what was good anymore i had a lot of like self-doubt um but something that i could always do was just copy another player um and like just adopt how they thought about the game and just have that like Hmm. for a game um and so yeah laning phase i looked at like there was a point where I thought that what we were doing around securing farm on a side lane was pretty bad. So I would look at how, I would look at how like when the mid laner would go catch side waves or like, and what's, what, um, how they would play around the fog or like how support jungle would like create a buffer zone for them to be able to farm in safely or stuff like that. Um, so trying to understand concepts without necessarily verbalizing them was there was like the same like generally my whole career, but that's basically what I was getting from Proview,
3: right?
1: And so yes. you said coaching. You asked whether it, between you as a player, how you use it, and a coach,
0: how do you use it now? Um, now I just look about how they utilize fog. Um, and this, this might—I don't know if this sounds like ridiculous or whatever—but like I, when I was coaching, like and Joey, Joey, I kind of saw it from Joey as well, uh Youngbach. Is that? Have you guys ever read Sun Tzu's Art of War? Like I, like Curtis, you have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yep. I remember we've spoken about it. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you have, Nathan, yeah, I don't but know. it's like there's so many concepts when when you when you legitimately like break it down and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, Curtis, I think we've actually had this conversation before that like you can apply in League, um, and so. What I tried to do when I was watching ProView as a coach was apply, rather than, rather than like, going into it trying to just learn things, try and look, like, and, and just looking at, like, the mid-laner and watch him walk around and, like, see everything that he's doing. Rather, watch it from kind of, like, a holistic view and the patterns across the games that, like, these players that were at a higher level, like, all the teams that... These teams that were at a higher level were doing and see, like... Whether or not across like a whole bunch of games, you can get it from replays as well. But it's just nice to see like from a player's perspective um, the patterns across the games, and then like why why are these patterns effective, and why aren't oh like why aren't these patterns effective? Like could mm-hmm. you could I could I like pinpoint almost like a pattern over over like gameplay that leads to you losing a game. Mm. Or winning a game, or whatever, and seeing and seeing what kind of concepts you can just draw out of that. Um, fog, fog was something that I was looking at a lot, and like implied pressure. I always used to talk about our jungler, like uh, Schrodinger's jungler. Like if you if you don't know where he is, everyone has to play like he's everywhere. For example, mm-hmm. or you all disrespect him simultaneously, and it's 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 about like it's like do you respect are you a team that's going to respect the jungler or are you a team that's just going to not respect the jungler, but you all have to be aligned on that. And it's like, um, and the implied pressure that that brings and, and, and everything like that. So that was kind of cool watching Proview for those reasons as well. Like the players and how they respond to fog.
2: What do you think made the best teams, the best teams at worlds this year, Like, what did that one do better than everybody else?
0: Um, I first of all, I didn't think that Suning, it was. I I thought Suning were really interesting because I, even going into the finals, didn't rate them that highly. I like I don't I don't know why, but like, I just thought a lot of the stuff that they did was very, like there was almost the like the way that they played almost had no finesse. It was like it was like they just brute forced a lot of things and it just seemed to work out a lot more of the time than than it didn't. Um. And with dumb one, it was like whatever force was behind dumb one, whether it was the players or the coaching staff or a combination, it was like they had completely deconstructed the meta, and it was like, and the way, and the way that like they had answers to things that other teams were doing was a team. There was something that no other team had. So, uh, like going up against Sooning and like the Akali pick, or sorry, G two and like the Akali pick that was pretty prominent before finals, I think. And, like, Akali just seemed to be, like, the champion, if the player was feeling it on the day, like, the champion looked really, really good. And there was, like, and everyone's, like, okay, the game's determined whether or not, like, this Akali player has a good game or not. Darmon, when the other team picked Akali, it's, like, it's so easy, but, like, Darmon just picked Lulu top. And, like, no other team did that, and Lulu just completely cucked Akali for the entire game. And then, and then the way that they were playing it around, like, G2's creativity was so relentless. It was like, do you guys remember that play that Caps had in, like, that top brush where he was looking to pick off a jungler and Showmaker's just sitting at the tier one? Like, I don't know if you guys are, Like, this is, this is kind of like what I, it was, they were so incredibly calculated with their next move or what they, they always knew what the enemy team was going to be doing. Mm. Like the general understanding, I think it's like the general understanding and the way they deconstructed the meta was better than any other team of the tournament.
2: Because sometimes the, I think Dopa said in his post, he said something about how the best team at Worlds isn't necessarily the best most skilled players. It's their ability to have, yeah, they're the, the best in that meta. The best mm. at thriving or figuring out the meta first. Because it was the same for us at Diables. The reason, The biggest reason we got stomped internationally, it actually was very rarely individual skill. Like, yes, mm. there was an element of that. But when we came to international, we weren't equipped with the skills to be able to adapt or, or create a meta or even create or adapt to the meta or, or, or create our identity within the meta. What happened, mm. going to scrims, we'd be like, oh, shit, what we played in O's doesn't work anymore. And everyone just goes starts going haywire. I'm trying to figure out okay, all the
1: reacting constantly, right? It's like, okay, so scrim number one, this beat us. Let's try this now. React. Scrim number three. Mm. Okay. You know we maybe we won. That worked. It's just like you're basically just reacting to just uh,
2: reacting. And you can't react.
1: Again, I mean, maybe that's just confidence
0: for D D W G being the number one team in Korea. Yeah. I but like so so then then it's a question of like what is what is the meta? Like what is meta, right? And it's like how do you, how do you, how do you define it? And it's like is it the thing that just works best in the game at the current time? Is that, is that the meta? What's because, most effective
2: tactics available?
0: Yeah. But the game like if you if you played on this patch or like mm-hmm. on, on on the world's patch for like a year, like do you think that the meta would be like would shift considerably? I think it would. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's just going to be continuously evolving. Mm. And it's like, so, one just understand the game more. That's basically what meta is. It's like mm. understanding, like the game and your role in the game. And they understood it more than the enemy team. Because it's like, given enough time, like you can counter it, but they just have greater understanding of the game. And you, it's like, or they understand their opponents well enough to understand how they play the game. And create an effective counter to it.
2: It feels like they, they really understood sooning. Like they yeah. they they figured them out. <laughs>
0: like yeah. There was nothing sooning could have done. But the sooning pick I think it was like the Jacks came in in first three on blue side like blind. Hmm. And I was like This guy's like very determined to play the game this specific way. Like all or, or the team is very determined to play the game like this. Hmm. Um and dumb one dumb one know that. And they're like, okay, we're just gonna like we know like you have to pick this now or else we're like you guys are, you guys are cooked. So we're just gonna like you can take it and we just have the counter to it and like that's it. Well, that's, and that's like it, a and, like,
2: where, like neutralize it and then play someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's it's like they they understand their opponents and they understand the game to a better level than anyone else in the tournament. It's a very cop out answer because you can say that about almost every single team that's won worlds, but that's what that's what wins you worlds. It's like. FPX vs G2 last year is like we all thought going into it that G2 were going to win. Oh, I did. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I really I thought that G2 just, were yeah. going to win win that. And then FPX proved that they just understand G2, or they understand the meta more than G2 does, and that's it.
2: Do you, Do you feel like I actually disagree that they understood the meta? I, I what I believe is
0: or have they were... game understanding.
2: Well, I, I believe that, yeah, they had the, uh, they had a deeper understanding of what won games, but I think more specifically, they had a much clearer identity as a team.
3: Mm. Like,
2: so th- you know how you said this age, uh, a while ago in this in this video, in this podcast, you're saying how you want to get, okay, if, if you want to be predictable to your teammates. Yep. So this is my philosophy of coaching. My philosophy in coaching is my keywords, alignment. Okay, my, my entire goal as a coach is to, uh, I have two goals. I want to bring about alignment with all five players. So my yeah. job is through, in every review, I want to ask questions or um, figure out ways to get players seeing the same things or at least understand why they made those decisions. Now, yeah. so alignment is my word. And then the other part of that with my coaching is, My goal is to maximize and juice the amount of learning out of every single game because Mm -hmm. over the course of the long run, if you're getting 80% of the learning out of a game comparatively to 60% or 50% of the learning, which is, you know, obviously I'm just throwing arbitrary numbers here, which we're never going to be able to know, comparatively to another team through having high quality review, high quality discussion, better quality questions asked, more efficient reviews, we are going to be better or improve at a much faster rate. And it's, it's, um, exponential. Like you get better and then you get better at getting better and then you're, like you're getting uh, better at a higher proportion mm. of what you were before in a way. I'm not
0: articulating No, No, that. no, no, no. no. That, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and then... The effect, it's like well, it just being aligned, it helps everything. Your scrims, your reviews, mm. your game stage. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So alignment is my thing. Now, what I believe FBX, FBX in that year were, were very good at is they they were completely aligned. They had complete alignment. They knew their identity, both as five individual players and as a team. And every mm. player on that team knew their role every single game. They knew exactly what they had to do in every single game. They knew what Doynby was going to do on that champion. Would he be Galio? Him and... um, What's the jungler's name again? Yeah. Tien. Tien. Like, they knew how to play that. Like, even if it was subpar on paper mm. to G composition, they knew how to do what their champions did
0: way better than g But isn't, isn't that just game understanding, though? Like, well, like, well, so you're saying that
1: it's more they understood their identity and and it might not be them understanding the game, but the, it's like the uh, yeah, because a bad plan executed well is yeah. better than a good plan executed poorly.
2: Exactly. That's my mm. theory. And that, I think that was actually it was from a military book as well. A bad plan executed great is better than a great plan executed poorly and what? i feel like they internalized that and i actually believe yes we could say that maybe galio and that style of push mid rome sides was like a very solid strategy in that meta yeah. but i just can't i can't agree that that was was solely was the sole or at least i said it's one factor but i don't even think it was the major contributing factor to them winning i think it was the it was the more underlying concept behind it which was um, yeah, they were complete and utterly aligned.
3: Yeah. And what okay. I mean
2: by alignment is it's less about game understanding. I mean, that's an element of it, but it's more about, okay, Doinby's going to do this on paper. It may even be inefficient and people can even criticize it as the incorrect play because people always criticize the way Doinby played and especially his landing phase. But it was a specific way. It brought about a specific game pace. It brought about, mm. like he would take trades where he would lose Forty percent of his HP, and only take twenty percent. But he would make the game sloppy. He would do some crazy shit. And
0: yeah, he'd... but but and then, but then that. yeah, but then but then it's like okay, so the intention behind it, it's like so, why is he doing it, right? Obviously, mm. there's a plan, right? Mm. And the plan has to come from understanding, like yes, his role within the game, but what it also him playing like that does to the state of the game, mm. which is understanding the game. Mm. So it's like if 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 you have like. This specific identity and this specific, because I agree with you with like a mm. uh, uh, good plan executed uh, badly, et cetera, mm. et cetera, because that's the same thing that I tried to harp on about as well. I was like, if um, guys, I like, honestly, a lot of the time, like, I don't care what you do as long as you do it together, and then we can review like the decision making process. But if you, if you like aren't doing it together and it's just shit, like, there's nothing to review. Like, you don't even try it, right? fight, yeah. So so I agree with that, but it's like always, always the, un like, there's always intention. There was, yes, intention to FPX's gameplay and everything like that. But it was like, the reason that they were doing that was because they were comfortable in their game understanding and what their effect on the game was. What that brought about. What that brought about, and that's where they were comfortable. Mm, And mm. that's where they understood the the game better Mm. than G2. It's right. like, we're going to, I'm going to skip this wave and I'm going to TP from, like, the first play that happened in the in the final where uh, Perks was playing Pike, Uh, Perks, Caps was playing Pike and uh, Doinby was playing, like, Galio or Rumble or something. Uh, No, Nort. He was playing Nort. And he TP'd from, he did the half-roam TP into topside, right? Because he's like, I understand that saving these 10 seconds with the teleport is going to, like, increase the pace of this game like or or whatever it brought about more than like what you understand in taking like the full rotation up or whatever so him understanding that and bring and and playing at that level and playing at that game pace just means that he has a better understanding and his teammates have like a better understanding of the identity that they have within like the game Mm. because it's all it's all like the what the player brings to the game is like it's like it's like how can how can you mold the game? Like, what do you bring to to league? Because it's the same map. It's like what are you bringing about to change the state of the map to make it more difficult for them and less difficult for you? Um, and I think like the way that like they think and everything, it just it, I think it almost always comes down to game understanding mm-hmm. and like, and it's like game under game under because that comes hand in hand with like the identity you have because if you understand the game to be like this, you are going to play like this within your parameters of understanding. And
2: you can't be aligned if you don't understand the underlying concept that's at play. Yeah. What are you aligning around? There has to be. Exactly.
0: It has to be something. It's like we, yeah, if we want to like get this, it's like, it's like how far ahead can we think? It's like, we want to be able to contest like this second Raptor camp. So if we throw off and like force the jungler to catch top, then we get a reset and we're at jungle, like we're at this camp on respawn and he's in base or something Mm -hmm. like that. So we're going to take the dive top, force him to respond and then blah, 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 blah. It's like, maybe that's reading too much into it, but Mm -hmm. like they also, they've done it, they've played at that level or like they play at that pace so often that they more often than not know like the consequences of their actions. Whereas like it's up to G2 to determine the game at their own pace, which, which they failed to do in the finals.
2: So you know how we're talking a lot here about like team identity, and I yep. remember earlier on you were talking about, um, you know, this player's identity. You know, you have an identity as a player. Whether it's uh, you're talking about strengths of the play, one of the first things you tried to do on your team was you said you said something about identifying strengths or identifying
0: mm, how people it? play, like how like people play, where where people like it's like you can you can see like by how vocal people are or how often like they take aggressive trades or whatever. It's like, you can, you can kind of like get an idea for how people want to play the game. And like, that's their strength, how they want to play the game.
2: So how is there a point in which you're a coach and you see Mm. a player and you're like, Mm. okay, we may have success playing this way, but it's just not going to last. At some point, the yeah. meta is going to shift and, like, say, the second mid laner, for example, let's just take Power of Evil. This is yeah. why I'm actually a big critic of Power of Evil, right? I, yes, he may be an amazing mage player. He can be the amazing mm. Oriana, Sindra, Zia, great. But at some point, aren't you just capped as a pro player? Where, like, you come up at some point, yes, you may win NA, but you're going to come up against like Caps, you're going to come up against Knight or Rookie or one of these players, and they're going to whip out and Akali, they're going to play rally Mid, they're going to play Yasuo Gragas, they're going to play LeBlanc, whatever they're going to... an Echo. Mm. Do you feel like the game has evolved to a point where you can't afford to be one-dimensional? You can't afford to have, like, a style. You can't afford to, like... Uh, like remember Sharon Shern used to talk to me about this. He's, he doesn't believe in styles. Mm. And he was inspired by Bruce Lee and stuff like that. So, this, is like, this thing is, like, styles. you are got to be able to adapt, and, like, the game is true. It evolves at such a fast pace that... Your job, your job as professional player, is to adapt. What are your thoughts on this uh, for players nowadays?
0: I think that I think that it has to do a lot with. So, so I think we've already established, based on everything that we've spoken about, that like knowledge doesn't equate to like gameplay, right? Or, or, or it's like. So, I I feel like I have a pretty strong understanding of the game, but I probably won't hit challenger again, right? Like, I don't have the drive. I don't have the time. There's there's other there's other elements that uh, other factors. I wouldn't say here. you
2: couldn't. I think you could hit EU and Challenger if you put the time and effort.
0: Maybe, but uh, that's definitely not happening. So yeah. the other the other thing is that when we talk about like Power of Evil, for example, do you think that he um he doesn't understand how to play or how to pressure or how to influence the game well enough as an assassin? to warrant him putting time like to in his own mind to for him to warrant time putting into learning like that more like or what it brings or whatever do you think that he thinks like and this is this is because this is an old way of thinking like this like having a style in the game and not being not being able to like pull out the right champion for the right moment and stuff like that is his understanding of how to play the game as an assassin just not up to par or does he because when he plays against one, right, he seems to understand the capabilities of, it, of what the assassins can do. He seems to understand that, like, if I walk into this top lane, like I'm going to lose the one-on-one, or like this is what an assassin brings to a tank fight and stuff like that. But he seems to be able to navigate it from the mage's perspective. So is it is it an understanding thing, or is it a, or is it, is he uncomfortable? Is he uncomfortable in that position? Like, does he have to think more about the game and the implications of, like, what he's playing and how to affect the game as an assassin rather than a mage? Because that's interesting. Because I it's, don't know.
1: It's got to be he's uncomfortable. I mean, that's... I, yeah. mean, I mean, at the end of the day, again, there's a time... and. I mean, maybe he's so confident in his being able to just win lane versus, like, an assassin, even as, like, a mage, that... Mm. Feels like there's no need to, but I mean, I mean, it's 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 proven limited as a team, but but maybe he's uncomfortable. I mean, he has to be uncomfortable because he's 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 definitely
2: uncomfortable. But the way I this is the way I view it. This is this
1: is is
2: a somewhat pessimistic way of viewing it. But the way I'm viewing it, I don't know him personally. He is he knows that it's a risk. Let's just Mm -hmm. say he he spends an entire off season trying to redefine himself.
1: Money and Mm His his livelihood, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I so yeah. view that. Imagine being in his position. You're in a good spot. You're valued in the NALCS. You, you know, you're seen as a decent mid laner. You have a clear identity. What what's what's worked in the past? You know, it's it, it's going to most likely work again. I mm. think he's comfortable where he is as his current identity. He yeah. knows that he could maybe push himself and, like, in the offseason spend, like, three months just completely only playing, like, you know, Echo and Zed, whatever it is, and, like, completely redefine himself as a player. But it's like, well, that's going to come at a cost. I might lose my confidence. Mm. I might, you know, I might not even just want to put myself through those three months. I could just be better at the champs I already play, whatever it is. Um, mm. I, I, that's where I think it is. And that's actually why I'm the biggest critic because I think – if you want to win worlds, I don't think you can be that sort of player.
0: Yeah. I, I I agree with you. I think that like what you're talking about is the transition between dream to career. And it's like, when you stop, like when, when you, when you think about the game, when you go into it and it's like, it's like, what do you, when, when you start your path to becoming a pro player or whatever, it's like, I want to win worlds or I want to get a stable career out of this. Mm. And it's like, you can have the dream of going to worlds and everything like that, but then, for whatever reason, like the you become more pessimistic. You realize, like maybe you don't have the skill or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like, and Nathan, you you touched on it as well. It's like, why would you take the risk? Why would you risk jeopard? Like your your thinking has now switched from what you perceive to be like this naive dream of winning worlds to I'm making like seven hundred thousand dollars a year in the NALCS, mm. right? Like I'm pretty happy with that, and I don't want to lose that. And I, I think that, I think that, and maybe, maybe like he, ha- maybe that's not it, and maybe there's something completely different. Like I don't know, whatever. But like that makes a lot of sense to me. And at the at the point that he's at now, it's like he's he's like a lot of a lot of the players now in NA are like career players. Like mm. the, the chance of an NA player winning Worlds is very very slim. It's like- Think about
2: all of them, like well, I mean, it's like
0: duration, length,
2: O belter Glue, like all of them.
0: We could yeah. to our
1: experiences as our players and our, our, us going overseas. The first couple of times you went, you probably thought you could. You probably we. Had, I mean, the first time we went to MSI, we thought would pretty much we we're pretty convinced we could make it out of groups. Mm-hmm. As time went on, we knew how difficult it was. Right? Can you relate to that, Simon? The first couple of times you went over to wildcards overseas.
0: Yeah, the first. WCG doesn't really count cuz like never I thought I saw that as more of an experience rather than something that I was genuinely going to win cuz cuz whatever it, it is what it like that's that's how I thought about it but like the first um first wildcard I went to I didn't know how we stacked up honestly it was so, like was dream mode or career mode at that point I was dream mode I was like Hmm. At the, the dream mode though was like I want to go to worlds like I want to go I didn't my dream was realistic I was like I don't want to win worlds I want to go to worlds right <laughs> so <laughs> and then once I did that I think I would have been content and then maybe like my drop-off would have happened like a lot earlier in my career as well I don't know if it would I don't know I don't know it's, it's like it's too hard to, say. Yeah,
2: hard to say but
0: um but eventually it went from... Not making it, not making it, not making it, not making it, and then losing domestically. And I was like, I don't think I had an honest conversation with myself for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was like, I don't think I, I don't think I came to the realization, like what goal, like I'm just playing. Like, what am I, like,
1: exactly. like, what
0: am I doing? that career
1: mode like like cause could power leave will be the exact same mindset you are he's just playing like he has no dream anymore and he's just
0: in that the, that mode. difference is I think I think it's like the money whereas like I don't think the money in OS was ever high enough to justify just doing that. It's yeah. like it's it's like you I think I think OS you always had to you always had to be a dreamer to be in it and if you didn't like there was I don't think there was a point. Yeah.
2: Well, it's so um, it's so easy for us to just sit back and say oh yeah power of evil and he's got like this money literally at his fingertips like it's so easy for us to like criticize him because we're not in that position
0: yeah 100%. Like, what would we do for
2: that position yeah you
0: know? i i know it's like it would be like but we all came from like we all came from os where it was like you like you have to dream in this to make it viable for you otherwise like what's the point
3: that's right yeah. so
0: so like where we've got inherent biases of course because like that's how we came through it mm, and like sure. and, and it is and, and like it's like we can almost take the moral high ground but it's just because we didn't experience like we we didn't come into it thinking and he probably he probably started thinking that he was going to win worlds and then it gets to a point where he's like the amount of effort that i like have to put in to learn a completely different style of the game or like how to impact the game in a different way isn't worth jeopardizing like my my career which is a hundred percent valid. Hmm. Like, very just, just, It is. It is what it is. And like, I uh, like having that realization and having that, just like that, uh, the ability to to come to that conclusion. I think is pretty admirable if like he's done it. because um, I agree. I don't think that like you can win worlds playing one specific way or having a small champ pool or, or whatever. Because it's like. Mm-hmm. Maybe if the stars align and it's like literally perfect for you, yes. But like, then you're just gambling on. Like, you're not taking yeah, fake into your own hands. What is what is your goal? What
2: what, what like what what do you? I mean, um, you may not even mm. have one. I like I no, want to put do. the pressure on you. you don't have to answer. Them. Yeah, but yeah. like, I know. Obviously, I can. When you when I saw that you moved to coaching position, it made sense to me. But yeah, what do you what do you what are you aiming to get out of this whole experience?
0: Well, one of the one of the big thing is 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 like. I never I never made it to the height that I wanted to reach it as as a player um, like I never I never did make it to worlds or anything like that and it's not like the dreams carried over to coaching and that I like I want to make it to worlds or I, I think that like having a goal like that is anyway it's what I really want to do is like I want to prove to myself that like I like the knowledge and then like, and 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 the expertise that I have is worth something is like, and and basically it's like, I want to be a coach in the LEC or LCS. And I want to see if I can function in that kind of environment. Um, Cause it's like, I think, I, and this, maybe, maybe this sounds stupid, but it's like, I feel like I've gotten to this point in my life where I think about, goals in like like there will be i don't want to it's it's not like crown where he wins worlds and then he has nothing and then he enters like a depression right mm. like that's that's pretty sad because like you've you've reached what you wanted to reach and now you realize like you don't have anything and well like you have nothing else to strive for and you're like did i peak at 23 like is that yeah. it for me And like, now you've got the rest of your life. And it's like, I think that's something that I didn't really have as a player, but it's like, now I understand that there's a rest of my life. And it's like, I'm going to be happy reaching like this status in league, Um, like a coach of like LEC or LCS and do that for a few years. And then I'm going to be happy moving on. So you're thinking about the what's next? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I will give everything I, I, I want to that because like, that will help me in my life. Like my life takes priority. It's like, if I can prove to myself that I can do this, then the next step, I know that I will be able to do that, whatever it is. Mm. It's like, I want to build, it it almost sounds kind of corny, but I want to take this as like inspiration for myself, for my life. you do next. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's a very healthy approach though, because the skills that you're going to develop as you're probably finding out as a coach as well, Apply to everything, yeah. As well,
0: yeah. And I do want to be very like I want to be successful in this. I really, really do. Like, um, something that I'm going into next year, like short-term goals, is like top four EU masters for the first split, and then by the second split, I want us to. I want. I want the team. I don't care if we, like. I want to be top two, but I don't care if we win. If we do everything well. Like I want to. I just want to get better. I just want to. I just want to do better. Like, as a coach, than I did this year. And I think I know what to do. So
1: again, better. bringing it back to building that foundation from the get go. Yep. Um, are you involved in the recruitment process and stuff at all? Uh yes. Yeah, I was. So that's obviously going to be a bit different as well. I mean, how, that's maybe how another we, bit, of, bit of lessons for you there as how well. How many coaches
2: do you have, or is it is it, is it is it you and an assistant coach, or how?
0: So kind of kind of looking at that at the moment, but no, it's 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 mainly me. And then I had um, I had like an analyst that was kind of in between LEC and LCS. Right. Um, but like priority priority LEC. Sorry, not LEC. LEC uh, A- priority A- LEC, academy. and then uh, academy, right? So if he had spare time, I would ask him to like look at things for us. But if he didn't, I understood and whatever. So, um. Yeah, it was just me this year. And uh, we also had head of performance, but also LEC prior. Um, And yeah, that was the structure. Did you guys work out of the office? Yeah, we had an office for until COVID lockdown. Mm.
1: Right. And what um, what do you think um, is the best? If you could literally, if you had unlimited resources, unlimited money, mm. what is the best coaching staff you could possibly build? What would that look like?
0: You'd probably so so head coach for like macro. Um, I don't know how many coaches you would need to like so that I could so that I could not be distracted with like the the like the nitty gritty of like the like laning stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like I could just continuously focus on like pushing ourselves like ebb and flow. But like maybe like uh, one or two like uh, laning styled coaches. Uh, one or two analysts. Uh, an assistant coach as well, so you'd have a team of like six or seven, six I think, um, and that would probably be the most ideal setup.
1: Do you think it's necessary to have a positional coach for every single role? You said one or two for
0: lanes. I think I think a lot of I think a lot of the skills that you get from lanes can be transferred across. So like I I like top top and mid for example have very similar like the matchups change depending on the length of the lane but the way that you control the waves and stuff like that is kind of similar um, if you could, if you if you think if, if you have someone that can think of, like that is at a high level that can think about it like in terms of like the different nuances between them you could have one person doing two like you can in the same way that like i think that uh, jungle and support become very similar roles like later on in the game and not so much early, but it's like the way that you control areas of the map comes a lot through like those two roles. Mm. Um, so there's skills that are transferable between people, between between roles. Um, but if you... if I suppose if you, if you really need someone to like talk about the nuances of the lane, like I feel like a player could like almost already understands these. Um I I don't think that you need uh, I do I don't think that you need one for every role to be honest. But I, if, in an ideal world, if you had unlimited resources, yes, like sure, like a personal tutor for every role would be great. Mm. But
2: so how, how does that differ to you know in like traditional sport in say NFL? You would have like a quarterback coach. You would have mm.
1: a coach for every role. How what are your thoughts on that? Like what would the, what would that look like? Well, again, Simon said that he they they thinks they can transfer. You know, it's like... Like, do you, you think... Do. Why do both? I mean, let's say you, Curtis. You, I mean, you're... Like, so Simon's obviously mm. being more of a head coach in terms of mm. pitcher stuff. But you've been more on positional coach, Curtis. Do you think you could teach top to the same level you can teach mid or even... No
2: Not even close. And why is that? Um, I think the deep... Okay, I, I just think... I mean, I can't comment because, like... I mean, I have worked with high, high elo challenge EU players mm. but yeah the 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 new the importance is in the de- the devil's in the details and i as you probably know simon right let's just say you're very very good at what's what are your og champion like a reliant soul or something mm. <laughs> or even like a zillion yeah. or something okay yeah uh, there was something that you, you know very well mm. Yes, it's largely the player's responsibility to really get into these details, but in regards to really, really refining both, okay, the way you play out, not just the trades, but the way you want to bring out a certain situation in a game on certain champions. Like with Galio, you don't want it to be a very slow, you know, slow drawn-out game. Ideally, you want a lot more skirmishes. You want things to happen. There are things, little details in the lane or things that you can do to bring about or increase the likelihood, this is my theory, to bring about, increase the likelihood of X events happening. Mm. Um, I can't do that for any other lane. I mean, yes, like you said, the underlying lane fundamentals are basically the same with top. It's still the lane. It's a wave management, same laning stuff. But I don't know the matchups well enough and the champions in detail enough to give really actionable, specific f- coaching for a top player at, at the highest level. Yes, I could probably do that for a diamond or master, mm-hmm. even grandmother. But when it comes to like the elite, if I don't know those little details, it's very difficult for me. Now there, there are different ways to coach. Like I can ask better quality questions and allow them to figure it out themselves. There's, there's that style of coaching as well. Just in my own experiences, um, understanding the matchups to a granular level and, and and this understanding the exact game pace of that champion once given the champions in the game, how that champion translate leads, the minute details in team fights and skirmishing, the way all these little things, um I think pay dividends. And I think that adds consistency to your gameplay.
0: I I understand I do understand what you're saying, but I think I think that if you applied the same thought processes to how you look at mid lane matchups to other, like to top lane, Hmm. I think you'd find that you can actually do that. If you, so, so the, the, the the problem, I think that the thing that I disagree with, with what you're saying Hmm. Hmm. is that then you're putting a finite cap on like your coach because matchups will change all the time. And it's like, Depending depending on like item builds, depending on like on maybe something gets like I don't know whatever right like yep. something a like skill gets slightly reworked and the totally. matchup changes or whatever right you now now unless unless the coach is playing at a sim like that kind of level as well where they're learning and being able to um, impart like yes they have onto, to be. right yeah it's like if they're playing at that level then why aren't they like they they like, the thing uh, coaching I I always thought coaching was more about like as you said, like alignment, mm. conceptualizing things, et cetera, et cetera, rather than like being able to actually pound for pound, just demonstrate like what, like uh, um, what's supposed to happen in the matchup because you can do it like yourself, you can replicate yeah. it as well. I, I think that like, th- like being able to understand like your example with Galio, like increasing game pace, for example, it's like there are champions on top lane that want to increase game pace as well, and what you do as Galio, you can almost do in the same way in in top lane. It's okay. like same it's idea. like those. That's what I mean by the transferable concepts are the shield. same. Yeah, the concepts are the same. The way to achieve it, the way to achieve it is different, but you can you can put that on like you can you can talk about that with the players hmm. because it's like you want. It's like how you can give the question to the player. How do you want to increase the pace of, like, how do you want to create more opportunities to impact jungle, mm. right? Like, what do you need to do to the wave to do that? To think about a champion that you do that on and apply it to this champion. Mm. And it's like, I think that's what I'm talking about by the transferable skills from right. between the lanes. Rather than, like, the, the, the mechanical details, which I think, like, get lost through the game's evolution. Because the Aurelia like the like for like Aurelia Fiora matchup, isn't the same now as it was like in season whatever. Because the champions have both been changed, so it's like I don't think that you can expect the coaches to go learn the nuances of the matchup to the same level, like to the like exactly the same level as the players. It's like what the coach is trying, what the what I think like the coach should be doing in a in a positional thing in a positional uh, coaching position, is saying like okay. Fiora wants to like try and keep the other person in the lane for as long as possible. This person wants to get out from the lane as long as possible. In this other matchup, where like this thing is similar, that like we can talk about that. How can you apply it to this? How can we how can we problem solve this together? That's kind of like how I look at positional coaching more so than like the full the full detail of it. I suppose
2: I, I still can't see how apply a, a positional coach could understand that many matchups, even to the level you're talking about between top and mid. I, wow. I still can't see it. Because like yep. think about Fiora. Okay, think about a top lane champion pool. Let's say across mm-hmm. a season they play 10 champions maybe across an entire season to a pretty high level. Yeah. Maybe too much might be even too much. But let's just say Fiora, this all the Fiora matchups, Camille, Aurelia on there's a Carly matchup, site whatever it is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a ha- I mean the identity, sometimes the identity of your champion sh- has to shift completely in those matchups or the conditions you're trying to bring about for ex champion. It's, you don't even have to push the pace of the game. There's some games yeah. where I'm playing Prince of Fate and I don't even have to push the pace of the game. I'm completely yeah. fine. And I think what you're saying is right. I think a positional coach could still, do, still get good results,
3: mm.
2: but I'm thinking to the next level, I'm thinking, what, what is it going to look like in 20 years from now? What, what, what are the positional coaches in 20 years from now going to be doing? And, and for, for, for me, like I'm trying to say this because obviously I'm biased because like mm-hmm. I am a mid lane coach and obviously I'm yep. not working at a pro level so, and I don't even have any vested interest in this. So I'm trying to be as objective as possible, but I'm trying to think, okay, in 20 years from now, let's, this game is going to be incredibly advanced. It's evolving. It's going to be new concepts. If I'm earning 350 grand a year as a professional mid laner, If I want a positional coach, I want someone who I don't have to explain to them the way these matchups go. I don't want to have to explain to them all these things about these matchups. Like I want them to come in and already be at a pretty high level. Yes, they may not be able to beat me in a one-for-one, but I want them to to be like, play devil's advocate 24-7 on my perception of the way this matchup is meant to be played out. And yes, you could probably do that as someone who doesn't really understand the intricacies, but wouldn't it be better? if we're just talking yeah. about optimizing here, wouldn't it be better? Imagine if you would have Fantix next to you when mm. back in 20s, 2017, if Fantix was your positional coach and helped you as your your personal mid lane coach. Mm. How much better would you have been if he had the skills of a coach, both in terms of translating information, asking high quality questions and had that granular understanding of the matchups?
0: I don't know. No, no, I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And like, I, yeah, I I do see what you're saying. I think that like, let me, let me try, I'll, I'll rephrase and Mm. and adjust kind of like my previous Mm. thought then. I think that you could have someone that could learn a role, like they could learn two roles. Right. Right. So I think that if you decided for whatever, like whatever reason that you wanted to also coach top Mm -hmm. and you invested time into doing that, I think that you could do, I think that you could do, you could be, you could do both solo lanes. Definitely, yeah. Right? So, I think what I'm... So, because you already understand what a solo lane looks like, the barrier to entry for understanding another solo lane isn't as high as, say, you're coming from, like, another position.
2: If you're going to, like... If I'm going to, like, k or jungle, like, it's a whole different ball game.
0: Yes, it's a whole different thing. Like, the, the thing that I struggled with the most in the one-on-ones this year was jungle, probably, which mm-hmm. is interesting because, like, I worked with jungle, like, the most in my career. But I found it, I found mid very easy to do one-on-ones with. Uh, I found top very easy to do one-on-ones with support, also relatively easy. And then jungle AD, I were the hardest two for me. Um, and I, I think that when, yeah, I'm just saying that because you already have a fundamental understanding of, of one-on-one matchups and like, general tendencies that happen in one-on-one lanes that you, if you wanted to could learn top and become Mm -hmm. a dual role coach. I think that you have the ability to become an expert in two because then, because then, then it's also like, it's not just, it's not just about, it's not just about you in the lane. It's not just about like bringing about X, Y, Z, um, creating gameplay or slowing down game place or whatever, but it's also like how that fits into the overall draft of the team, because you always have to bring it back to the team staff Cause it's not just, it's not just you. Mm-hmm. It's like, how does that fit into the overall objective of what the team comp wants to achieve? And then you can talk about the nuances, like how do you match up with a jungler versus their jungler, like blah, 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 and go down the list. But you, you can make like, you can make it almost as complex as you want it to be, depending on the player that you're coaching. Hmm. It's like, what, what is your, do, is your, does, your, does your player, like, thrive off of understanding the intricacies? Or do they work better when you give them a general idea of, like, how they should interact with the lane depending on their jungler? Mm. It's like, yeah. Or, like, do you want to play for, like, this first dragon? Because it changes, like, how you play the lane. It's like, mm. do you want to create a slow push for this? Or, like, what is the objective of the game also within, like, and how does your laning reflect that? Mm. And then that's also something that, like, you can... Because no, like, it's like, because no one knows. It's like, it's like, as as a head coach, like, I would talk to the positional coaches about how I want, like, specific things to be implemented because matchups don't exist in isolation. So that's that's what I meant between, like, there are skills 100% that you can, like, you might not understand, like, the matchup but you can understand the matchup like
2: yeah it's possible
0: like you you would like if you wanted to like and you dedicated time to doing it you would understand the matchup
2: yeah gotcha yeah this is something i mean i'm just exploring it i don't know i don't have the answer
0: like if you if you if you like i like you can go both ways like you can have someone for every single role like that that's perfectly that's perfectly reasonable um That'd be a yeah,
2: massive I, yeah. task, though. That, like, thinking that, thinking about that. Imagine the task of being a head coach, and then having like five positional coaches. That'd be fucking insane. Yeah, I know. And make
1: sure they the way you want them to be talking to. How does that how does that bigger picture. How does that affect The influence. How does that affect the yeah. culture, the team environment? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Know, but right? it's
2: something we need, we need. I mean, it would be super interesting just to see the way coaching because it's so new. Mm-hmm. It's so. It's just coaching in esports is just like fetus level literally just only just started like i mean think about where coaching was in 2016 it's like ba- basically non-existent yep. you know of, of at least very very surface level and it's already just started to really become an, the norm you know season six season seven and where we are now i mean there are so many question marks but it always fascinates me it's like holy shit what what is it going to look like in 10, yeah. 20 years from now? Talk about
1: and- Simon, the next stage of, um, you know, you talk about about the next stage of your life and stuff like that. Could that be in twenty years time? Could you be a coach for twenty years?
0: Like, I, yeah, I very well could be. Could like, that. maybe like, it's like the only reason that I can't conceptualize it at the moment is because like, it's like the, like what I, what I'm aiming for isn't a lot, isn't like super long term. That's right. You can, like, and else i it. I, I, it and I'm like, I really enjoy this specific aspect and I'm not going to get that anywhere else. And I'm going to do that until I stop enjoying that. And hmm. I, I let's say I stop enjoying that in two years, like so be it. I move on to the next thing. I stop enjoying it in ten years, like whatever. Like I move on to the next thing. It's just like it's just about where where you want to see yourself. And I think I think the thing about being a player and like transitioning to a coach was that, that they taught me to have those comp like check in with myself to see where i'm at as a person more often cuz i don't want i don't want to be in the position again where i'm not enjoying something for like one like two th- like two or three years and then realize that i could have made a move a lot earlier mm. it's just it's just a, like i but like it's good like i'm happy that i have that lesson now even if it took me like that's what those two years were for me like it's a positive spin on it but it is what it is
2: mm. Mm. well I think we should uh, probably
1: wrap this one up so we can go on for quite a while. Well, we've got to jump into some questions now, Coach. Holy
2: moly. Three. This is
1: a long one. This is the longest yeah. BBC episode yet. Uh, maybe,
2: <laughs> I think we don't do – maybe we really keep it short, the questions. Yeah, we'll just
1: do – we'll see how we go, but we can cut the questions to two or three if yeah. we need. Because there's only four that I've got lined up. Okay. All right. So let's jump into – hopefully this works. Oh, there's three of us okay. there. All right. So first question here is from um, Zania. So he says, You guys talk a lot about different aspects of the pro scene, which provides tons of info. Most of us listeners can piece together a general idea of both Curtis and I's backgrounds. Um, that being said, what if Coach Curtis, we'll pose this question to Simon as well, was a 15 year old mid laner in NA right now with maybe about two casual seasons of league looking to go pro? What would his timeline journey to pro look like, schedule, mentality, goals, etc.? So. Pretty interesting question. If you could put yourself, let's start with you, Curtis. Put yourself back as a mid laner. Let's say, let's say you're gold right now. You've been played two casual seasons because we think it takes about at least three years to get to challenger in, in given today's environment. Um, what would his timeline journey? Maybe let's start with Curtis's mentality goals. Um, should he take it right year now. by year? Like, okay, if he's right gold,
2: let's like, just say if I'm a 15 year old right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's very hard because I can't, I mean, I was just an absolute idiot at 15. <laughs> like, um, but let's just say I had that goal. Um, okay. So this is the advice I would give myself, right? This is what this is. The way the we way frame it.
1: Yeah, let's frame it that way. Yeah.
2: I would give myself advice. Okay. If I were to talk to myself right now, this is a 15 year old Curtis is right there. I would say, um, first I'll say the mentality you first have to adopt is you have to view getting better at league as a craft. And every decision you make will have an impact on how how much you will or won't improve at the game, both from the way your self-talk, the people you surround yourself with, your daily schedule, the intensity by which you practice. um, Everything matters. And I would say that you have to view everything as as like a craft that you have to refine and tinker with. Because I'd say the biggest mistake I made back in the day, because I mean, I was like you, Simon, I just kind of stumbled into it. I was just to happen to be good at solo queue. But I, I took it too casually, very casually. And if I would to view myself as a craftsman, I wanted to become a craftsman of the mid lane and the attention to detail, I didn't realize how important the attention to detail was. Um, So I would preface the entire thing with that. And then I would say, number one, get your schedule sorted. Look to make your days as efficient as possible. And you have to be willing, first of all, you have to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices. If you're not willing to make sacrifices, both with your social life, with your girlfriend, um, just, uh, yeah, mainly your social life and things like that. Because the time that you're otherwise going to go to parties and drink on the weekends and all this shit, there's going to be multiple sacrifices you're going to have to make if you want to reliably become a pro player um, by the time you hit 17, 18, like you have to already be a pretty high ELO by 17, 17, 17, 18, ideally to be recognized by talent or by organizations because they want a long-term investment. They want a lot of these orgs nowadays want a long-term investment. Um, so first of all, be willing to understand that there's sacrifices. First of all, get your schedule sorted. Make sure if I'm at school, or university that the time at school, I actually focus and I do as much work as possible at school. So when I come home, I don't have to have the mental baggage. I don't have homework going everywhere. I've done everything I can at school or university to make my life easier when I go home. So I can dedicate as much time as possible to the game. I would create like a routine in the sense that like, I never don't review a game. I always at least review a game, even if it's like a complete stomp to get something from it. Um, I would obviously invest in a coach. I would, um, I would also find and try and find other higher elo players and me to just talk about the game or at least a community of higher elo players where I can just ask some questions and talk about the game. And no, and I would tell myself, no question is too dumb. Um, if something sounds like a really simple question, it's probably very important. Um, and my mentality would be, no one else matters, it's me versus myself. Like it's literally me versus myself, and the only person preventing myself from going pro is myself. So if I'm able to become the and become the most resilient, focused, intense competitor and be the best version of myself, the chances of me going pro are gonna be very high because everyone else is self sabotaging. You look around a solo queue, most 16, 17, 18 year old kids they're self-sabotaging themselves every single day by tilting off the face of the earth, having getting an incredibly big ego and, and, and preventing themselves from getting into good quality review or surrounding themselves with memes, meme culture and like toxic circles. So I'd get rid of all that shit, focus on myself um, and yeah, get a really meaningful coach role model to, to guide to guide me on the right direction. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest things. Simon?
0: Um, Curtis, I like everything that you spoke about. I do. <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, so I'm not going to say, it I'm not going to say everything again, um, yep. but also, going into it, I would, I would want to ask, like, I would want you to ask yourself why. Um. Because the reason that you come up with there is going to be an anchor for yourself that you can fall back on um, when everything becomes shit. So when you feel like you're not making progress, or you've been stuck, or something's gone wrong in other parts of your life, and and you can't dedicate as much time to league as you want, or or what or whatever it may be, the you need you need to have you need to understand like. You need to understand yourself and you need to understand why you want to do it so even even something like it's just a simple like i want to prove that i can be the best at this or like i i want to go pro for whatever whatever reason it is like you need to have a reason for doing it and you need you need to you need yeah you need to follow through on that like you need to use that as a as inspiration for yourself whether like it can be like you can ha- be having fun doing it like that like whatever it is like i have fun doing this and i want to i want to do this professionally or or whatever it is because that that's like that's going to be your main motivating factor and it is yourself and if you look to if you if you try and find inspiration or motivation in other people it's going it's going to be flawed eventually like you'll see through it at some point or Whoever says it to you maybe might, might not live up to, like, ideals. So you need to be your own source of motivation and inspiration. Um, and then the second thing is routine. You need to have a good routine.
1: I want to emphasize two points from from Curtis's. I mean, for me, I mean, reviewing wasn't even a thing I understood that you could actually improve from reviewing. It was, like, such a foreign concept. Was it for you guys as well back when you – did you ever review your games in Solo queue in, like, Season 2, Season 3? No, no. Was that because of replay system? Like, did it ever cross your mind that it could help you improve?
0: Yeah, 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 it did. I I just would try and – obviously, like, I just try and remember the game. Um, But, yeah, I don't – I can't remember there being a very good – when did ProViews come? Oh,
2: I mean. that was
0: like twenty eighteen. That was ages. No, not proview. Pro um what was it? Replays was the... Game replays. Oh yeah, the, the other uh, one. There was
2: another one. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Play TV. Play TV. yeah. yeah. whenever that came in, that was amazing. I yeah, that was that was fantastic. But uh yeah, no no reviews for me. But now now yeah, now you now you should obviously be doing that.
1: I mean so reviewing, um and I will say the most important one. And you sort of said, Curtis, you sort of like fluffed over it saying, mm. you know don't be in meme culture and like Mm. um, the groups, like there is so many toxic groups in league that you can associate yourselves with. And and you talk about um, Simon, about you need to be really like solid in what you're doing, like why you're doing it. I find that even if you can come up with that as a 15, 16 year old, your influences around you will start pulling you different directions very quickly. You need to be very careful of this because I I think I could, I don't want to name names, but there's many players that I've seen whose careers have been destroyed by the people they hang around. They had like yeah, a lot of potential. Sure. I don't know if you guys could relate to that at all, but um, definitely. Uh, and, and, and again, like trying to get other perspectives on your gameplay. Again, like what Curtis said about going for the high yellow people. I mean, if you can find a coach, that's best-case scenario. I would be going out of my way to find like an actual, like actual coach for my um, role. Again, just asking people. Just, just try and always be seeking knowledge at all times. Yeah. got to be a vacuum. They're gonna be vacuum. I never went out of my way to learn other champs because I never actually cared about other people's opinions, which was like my own ego. I was like, "I'm just going to play Tanku every game," and as it works in solo queue, you know, like I, even when I when it was banned in me against competitive, I'd still play that one style. But I never, my ego always held me back from learning. Like at least in, like I'd actually properly play jungle, um, and I ne- never got another perspective. No one told me why that I was going to be pretty bad for me in terms of like a career. So, um,
2: just to follow on from that. from what Nathan said, like, this is one thing I've, I always wish that, like, I always wish that someone told me this younger and this is like, I guess for league, but also in life, like you can extend it to, to, to you as a person. What's okay. First of all, what sort of player do you want to be known as And, and what sort of qualities do you want to display do you want to be known as the toxic rager guy that if he doesn't get ahead in the first 15 minutes, just FFs or do you want to be known as the, the most resilient player in solo queue? Do you want to be known as the most annoying player to verse on the hardest laner to verse? Like what, what sort of player do you want to be known as by everyone else in, 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 in solo queue? Cause what happens is that, um, if you know what sort of player you're actively trying to become, then it's much easier to kind of reverse engineer what you need to do to become that sort of player. Because yes, we're, we're going to sit here and say review games, get a coach, blah, blah, blah. But if you have an idea or a clear picture of the sort of, per, the sort of player you want to be, you can kind of intuit
1: what you need to do. Then. Okay. Oh, yeah. no, I will become your oyster. you will always be every piece of information you see, It'll be trying to help you get better at whatever you're trying to be as a player. Well,
2: then it's no shit. It's like, if I want to be the most resilient player, okay, how do I become more resilient? Oh, I'm, maybe I need to re- read up on what some other pro athletes did to get rid of fear of failure or perform when it really mattered or, you know, whatever it is. You can study books or read books and things like that. And that also extends to, like, out of game, like, what sort of person do you want to be? I feel like I was so late to this and it wasn't until I was like – Twenty, you know, 22, 23, that I really started to think, what sort of person do I want to be? Mm.
3: And
2: it felt like I didn't know, and I didn't know how to distribute my time in my life or how to, to weigh certain activities that I could do or how I could spend my time because I didn't know what I was trying to bring about. I wasn't, I was always bringing it to like an, uh, an outcome or like, rather than like be a sort of person because the reason this is important is because if you can pinpoint the, the sort of qualities that you want to have as a person, the outcome is inevitable. Like, if you think about the sort of person that would be a world champion, what sort of qualities spring to mind? You know, that'd be incredibly probably disciplined, hardworking, passionate, um, you know, it, a craftsman they pay attention to detail like these qualities or aspects of them as a person like it's inevitable that they're going to be good at what they do so i think that and wish i asked myself this question is like yeah you may not know you're not going to have a this is going to evolve over time but at least have some rough idea of like yeah what sort of person you want to be man It's definitely what what i'll tell myself
1: i like get anyone else anything else to add there from anyone All right, next question here. Hi, Curtis and Nathan. I'm a big fan of the show, and I find it particularly interesting when you guys talk about one-tricking. I finished Diamond 4 in an A this past season, top lane, with about 400 renecating games, 100 sec games, and a handful games on other champs. I have two questions about the situation. What defines a one-trick, and would you consider me to be one? Number two, should I expand my pool for next season to include whichever top lane has become meta if my goal is to hit Master Tier? Thanks for pumping out. Quality, league content. Cheers, Max.
0: Let's get let's get Simon's opinion on this. Um. So, just just at a glance, like one tricking is someone with someone that plays the game that's like competitive at the game, but like but doesn't actually or has fun only playing one thing, but doesn't actually want to become pro. It's like competitiveness without being a pro because. Obviously, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're a one trick and you try to become a... Like, no one's going to pick you up because one thing gets banned against you and you're done. Um, what it does generally show, though, is that your ability... Like, if you did want to branch out, that you have the ability to, depending on, like, the level that you're at. So, um, I think a really good example might be Chovy. Because Chovy was a one trick for a really long time from memory. Um, and then
2: showmaker was a cat one trick.
0: Was it Showmaker? Okay, sorry. Yeah. So Showmaker, yeah, he was a he was a cat one trick. Um, obviously has the mechanics to be able to learn other things and like take lessons from Katarina and apply them to other parts of his gameplay. So it's not to say that like you can't you can't do it, but it depends on what goal you want out of yourself. So if you want to become a pro player, yes. If your goal is to hit master, like probably not. To be honest, I think that I think that like your are you're, you're they generally fine and honing in on one or two champions, like your Renekton set, um, and just becoming insanely good at them, you'll be able to hit Master Tier. That's 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 actually my that's if, if that's your goal, that like you can do this. Um, I would say that your four hundred Renekton games and one hundred set games like your borderline are one trick, yes. Um, it depends. Do you feel like on the other on when you play it's like when you when you when you play other games with other champions do you have the same amount of impact with those champions as you do with Renekton or do you just genuinely like playing Renekton it's like what is it about Renekton that makes you a one trick if you can only influence the game at a high enough level through Renekton then you're a one trick if you only if you like playing Renekton but you can influence the game through a whole bunch of other champions you're not a one trick you're just choosing to play Renekton It's kind of like how I think about it, to be honest.
2: The way I view it, yeah, similar to, I won't expand on that, the one trick, defining one trick. But I think, again, it depends on your long-term goal. I think the fastest way for you to hit Master tier would be to continue this. This isn't going to mean you're going to be the best player, though. It may mean if this is the fastest way to become Master, but if you wanted to reliably hit Master across seasons um or you wanted to get higher than master tier or you wanted to be a better overall top laner then yes expand your pool so i think i think it really does come down to what your your goal is
1: okay here's a question um if he was to is there is there a limit where you want to be so you know you said curtis there's the fastest way to climb high ills to be a one trick um and you said that if you can be better, a better top laner by playing other champions, but do you get better by playing against better players? If he was to hit master tier and then be challenged mechanically and you know macro-wise and stuff at a master tier level, um, is that going to help him limit other champions quicker? Like the showmaker example was Kat. Well, I
2: think it's, I, I genuinely think this is where there's something that I'm not sure on, which is champion specific. If you get to master only playing a champion like Renekton, it's very different to if you get to Master only playing Fiora or only playing Camille or only playing Akali. I think it's very different. I think there's certain skill this is why why I'm actually such a big hater of one tricking, is because okay, there are some players who can they're just good at the game, they're a good gamer and they're really competitive and they can use these skills to learn other champions and things like that. But I've seen a lot of the time they are just they're fucked. Like they they've maybe one trick to certain champion, a soul. I've literally had someone who was a one he got to challenger with a soul, tried to expand his pool, go all the way back to D four or to D4 with the Chall- D4, yes, from Challenger. You know, I've seen players that get challenged, go to D4 level when they because they're literally just there, challenger mm. at A-Soul, mm. but they're not a challenger mid laner, they're literally a diamond four mid laner. So because they're not able to learn the underlying concepts with certain champions. You're not going to be able to learn, per, like great wave or um manner rationing with Yasuo. You're not going to be able to learn proper wave management with like Vlad because you just get shoved in twenty four seven. Like there's certain champions that I feel like you you can, but you can't at the same time. Um, so I think it can actually hurt people. But then again, it just really depends on what your goal is. And I, Simon, what were you going to say before? Huh? What were you, you going to say something before?
0: Um no no that was I can't remember it was like the last no 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 I I don't remember it's okay all good. It's all good.
2: um so yeah Nathan uh, what in responding to what you said I think that I don't have the answer to that question I mean I don't know because yes he's getting better quality practice at that level but then it's like.
1: Well, we always say that the the confidence you lose from going challenger back down to d four can literally destroy a player. I think that there's just there's no way they can. Yeah, sometimes they just don't recover. They don't recover. Yeah.
2: Um. So if it's the if you just want to get Marzatier in the shortest period of time, I would stick with it.
3: Mm.
2: Given a sort of super niche champion, Renekton's always pretty solid. You know, it's a pretty solid
3: champ.
0: All right. it's the same thing as power of evil, right? It's like what, you, like what do you want? Do you want mm. like it, it, Yeah, it, if you do, yeah, if you want to hit master, th- I think this is like, and you've already invested this much time into it. Like, just go do it, and then once you hit it, like maybe, and you we decide to set a new new goal for yourself. Like, you can do something else, but like, yeah, if I think that like this is probably the best way to do it, if you've already done it like this, like just mm. keep doing it.
1: All right. we'll do one more question here. Um this is from Lena in Denmark. Uh hey Nathan and Coach. First of all, love the podcast and your content. I am a mid laner, watch Curtis and Jungler watches me. Awesome to hear. So I finished Silver 2 last season. I was wondering, do you guys ever tell your clients that they shouldn't be playing their champions due to the skill level of them? I'm asking this because my favorite and best champions are Cassiopeia and Azir. I also enjoy playing Corki and Anivia. I understand that these champions are generally pretty hard to play well. And sometimes people tell me to just play Annie, which I'm terrible at. Playing something simple also feels like I'm giving up in a way. It makes me think things like, I guess I'm too bad at the game to play blank champion. I I usually say that I just play what I enjoy and what I know how to play. I also believe that it's good for me to use champions like Azir that could potentially let me go all the way to high elo. As someone who wants to try to go for challenger this year... This seems the way to go. For context on this, I really want to go pro in LOL, and my mom mom has given me until August 2021 to make sure to make enough money to move out and take care of myself. If I don't make it, I have to take an education as a teacher, so I'm safe to go for this. What do you guys think? Is it okay for a silver player to play these very skillful champs, or should I stop to something simple?
2: There's a lot to unpack here.
1: Yeah, that's that's, a pretty big question. (laughs) Right, let's try and answer as efficiently as possible. So, for one, um, so you, you're saying you wanted you have to go pro by August 2021 as a silver player? That's probably not possible. He, he
2: wants to go, he wants to go challenger.
1: Oh, he wants to go challenger. Okay.
2: Um, I mean, I
1: just, I mean, okay. So, let's say whether it's possible or not. I mean, let's take the steps towards it. There's no way you can be playing Annie to get there. It's probably really bad. Um, Wait, wait,
2: Nathan. I think I think I should answer this one because okay. it's mid lane.
1: You're a mid lane. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about here. First
2: of all, um, I hate. I don't want to say impossible, but I think the chances of you being able to get challenger from silver in that a period of time is borderline impossible, though. Like it's pretty close. I'm Simon. If you would agree with that,
0: I'm trying. To, I'm just trying to think about like when I became good and like how long it took. Jonas and I have talked about this
1: before. We can't relate to the way we got good to nowadays.
2: It's different. It's, it's, it's harder yeah. nowadays. It's definitely yeah. way harder. Because no one knew what they were doing back then. And it was kind of like whoever is faster at and who invested learning. More power, and who invested more time was just yeah. going to be Challenger. Yeah. In a weird yeah. way. But, um, I mean, for me, even with that, it, I was gold, then diamond, then Challenger in, in Season 3. So, um, sorry, Season 4. Um, so I, I really don't think that you could get – you could get to Diamond. I think if you really try to get to like D4, mm. that's if you like go hardcore, but um, challenge is basically impossible. Okay, so first thing, it's a misconception that you – okay, it's not like you're going to play Annie and just because you play Annie like – you're gonna have to play any all the way to high elo. Like it's perfectly normal to shift your champion bulls, and you're actually hurting yourself by playing Azir and Silver. Like you're actually actually stunting, stinting, stinting, stunting um, your stunt, stunting your learning um by playing Azir and Silver because there are so many elements of that champion that are incredibly difficult. You just don't have the cap you don't have the character control, you don't have the mouse. Nest, you don't have the the tethering you don't have the yeah the ability yet to play a champion like that and it's kind of like okay it's kind of like when you learn even like in a traditional sport you don't just go from just learning something to versing a very good player like okay that's probably not a great analogy what's another analogy Feel free to chime in whenever, Simon.
0: Because I'm trying to think of a, like something to help the analogy. Would be like a sport mm. where you use like a tool and like a, like a like maybe like golf or I don't know. Like I never played golf. Something mm. where you use a tool and like the better you are, the more like range of tools you can use or whatever it is. But you wouldn't start with like right. this specific one or whatever, right? Because there's no there's no point because you can't utilize the effectiveness of it properly. It's like this tool's strength. I wish I played sports so I could actually do make this analogy. But this tool's strength, will, you will be underutilized by you, right? I mean,
2: you, you, there is no strength to it, like essentially as well. Yeah, it's like, like it it's, like, really it's like
0: the nuance, the nuance of it will be completely lost because you haven't mastered the the fundamentals of the game. It's yeah, like
2: I, I, you're actually wasting time because you, you actually don't. You actually you hurt your ability to learn the fundamentals with Azir. That's why Annie is great. is because you don't have to think about a lot of these really, the basic things are much simpler and you can actually hone in. You can really hone in on specifics with Annie, which then once you lay the, get the groundwork done, right? Once you get the groundwork done, then you can add difficulty to it over
0: time. slowly. Yeah.
2: It's called progressive overload. It's like in gym and stuff like that. Um,
0: Yeah, the champions that you've named here, like Cassio, Azir, Corki, and Anivia, they they like they are they are more difficult. Like on a micro level, um, which just and then and then also whilst also not being very strong currently. So I whilst whilst I don't think like if you if you get good at anything like an elo like you can you can play it. I think that if your goal is to rank up quickly these are not the champions to do it with cuz cuz you just have to you just have to look at it in terms of like if i say yeah if, if you want to get to that if you want to get to like challenger eventually or like or very very quickly don't take on impossible tasks which like these these are very very difficult things to to learn mm. i don't know i, don't, I can't like i took me like i don't know like Hundred games at a challenger level, hundred and fifty games to like get decent at a zero. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, and that and that was when he was good. Like, this is very hard. It's he's a very very challenging play. The champion that I think taught me the most about mid lane was Oriana.
2: Yeah, that's why I always recommend Oriana. <laughs> Orianna is like just the bread and butter. Like you just learn so Alice around. always
1: talks about Annie. Is Annie, from your opinion, actually good to learn mid lane as well?
2: It, no, it, it is to get the absolute – because, okay, Simon, we're not going to re- – you won't really resonate, but – and you probably won't even understand this because you came from Dota. A yeah. lot of people, when they first um, start really playing the game – the actual m- mechanical element of controlling a mouse and being able to, like, accurately click on a minion and process which minions are getting low and knowing how to alter your positioning in reference to the minions that are getting low, this is stuff that's not intuitive for people.
3: Mm. So
2: what Annie does is because CSing with the Q is so easy and because your identity your, – uh, your champion identity is so clear – I have a button that allows me to gap close. I can land a stun, land a trade, and get out.
3: Mm. Well,
2: it's it, it dumbs down the entire mid lane, both trading patterns, ability to CS, um, and makes your champion... Having a very clear champion identity makes the entire process very easy. So you can get a hold of that. You can get... Oh, now I can walk up. The minion's low. I can get it and walk back. Mm. Um, it's very simple trading patterns. Even Cassio. That's why Cassio is hard because... The Q is relatively difficult to hit.
0: I, I just, don't, just don't play Cassio. Like, you're going to... you're gonna you're Like, just don't play Cassio. It's like... Her trading patterns are, like, random at the... Like, mana management, at is, mana, mana management is such a big issue on Cassiopeia at the moment. Yeah. Like, you Very are going much. to feel so disempowered playing that champion.
2: You're gonna feel like a bot. And and Annie, yeah. you know what happened? You'll verse an Annie at your Elo, and Annie will walk up a little six and just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck do I do?
0: Anivia is the same. Corky is like almost the same. It's like yeah, yeah the four the four of these champions, like
2: it's some of the hardest in the game, honestly.
0: Yeah. Like Cause they the thing the thing about these champions is, is that like well Corky, is, Corky and Anivia, like require you to lose the lane softly. Which is a very hard skill to get good at um
2: you have to minimize you have to just minimize. because going even is winning
0: yeah which which isn't something that i would promote as a as like a introductory level concept to league (laughs) definitely not
2: um so yeah i think tldr here um don't feel bad for playing annie and if Annie doesn't click with you for some reason, maybe you don't just like Annie, try Oriana. Like Simon says, I think Oriana is equally good at learning the fundamentals. Um, and by fundamentals, it's on my channel. Like you need to get, vi- you need to be able to CS without looking at your character. You need to be able to know how to alter your character's location in reference to minions that are getting low. You need to be able to see which minion is getting low and be able to position appropriately. Then you need to be able to know which of the enemy. Uh, your minions are getting low, so then you can actually time your trades with the enemy. Like, this is absolute basics on trading 101. That's what you need to be able to do. Um, and Oriana and Annie are great at teaching that. Um, yeah, so Oriano and Annie, I would say that, and the great thing is about those champions, once you get to high gold, right? Or like generally, the way I view Annie is the tickets are plat. As soon as you get plat, put it to the side. Orianna's great because Orianna's played all the way to the top challenger, but you can add in another champion because then you're going to have the micro ability or the lane understanding or the, yeah, the mechanical prowess to be able to learn some of these other champions. So take it one step at a time. And it doesn't. It's it, this is going to speed up the process, if anything. Um, yeah. Mm. That's what I would God. say.
0: Yeah, there's a lot in there, isn't it? Like silver to challenger is like the amount of the amount of oh my god the amount of what, stuff that you have to learn
2: what would the equivalent be in like a say like a if you are to take another industry it's kind of like okay th- take, take like a phd level understanding of like take like phd and into <clears throat> like schooling how what what Difference in, in education? Are we talking here? Like it's like equipment. year, it's
0: like year eight physics, and like <laughs> it's like a PhD. I actually don't even know. I, I like I, 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 it's like it's so difficult to compare these. To, it's like it's like Hawking radiation and year eight physics. It's like discovering <laughs> discovering like something. It's the more you learn about league. It's like the more you realize how much there is to learn about league, yeah. It, like it never yeah. stops. It's it like doesn't stop. it's like we're we're like at uh, like not like maybe not the peak, but like very close to that. Like maybe one or two percent off, yeah, or whatever. And it's like the closer you get to it, the harder it is to like under like to get it. And yeah. and that and the, and the the peak is going. It's like continuously building, growing. So it's it's you'll find you'll find that you will plateau and you'll find that the increments in the level that you're that you're improving by will drop off over time it's like you'll do the most learning in between silver to like diamond and then you'll have to find a way to measure how how well you're improving otherwise you'll become completely demoralized
2: yeah the, i always say like the difference between like okay I would say the difference with D four and D one is like, you know, s- easily silver to plat, or something like around that, or even like high silver to, to plat four. And then like the difference between like diamond one to like low, even diamond one to grandmaster is still equivalent of probably like, you know,
0: yeah, it's huge. Curtis, <laughs> hang on. Do you do you have a struggle with? Okay, so when you when you I because I have when you look at somebody play. Can you mm. accurately pinpoint where they are like in terms of their Elo? Because I'm not going to lie, every time I look at anyone from silver to like diamond, I don't know where they are. Mm, but when I I I get- no, I'm
3: I
2: very good at it. I can bas- okay. I can tell where they're at in basically the first 2 minutes,
0: 3 minutes. In- yeah, that's because uh, between between like mid diamond to to Chow, I can I can I can differentiate the levels between there. I cannot like I, I guess I've never like tried to talk like because what you just said about like mm. literally your character's relation to the minions is something I've never given an active thought to, mm. right? Like it, it's, it's, it's all this stuff, Simon. that's yeah. it's
2: fascinating because when I yeah. started, it's fascinating that
0: yeah, and and that that kind of stuff is like I just would not know where to begin. Like with with some like with like the lower elos, like mm. it all looks the same. It all looks the same in, in the same way that, like, when my brother, when he wasn't very high, like, looked at Challenger and was like, "Oh, this is just like gold," but like, like he can tell the difference between, like, when he was in gold, he can tell the difference between silver, gold, platinum, or whatever, mm, mm. and can't tell the difference at the high end. Whereas, like, I find it difficult to find the difference at the low end, and I like, can differentiate the high end.
2: Yeah, I can. You can tell it with literally in the first like two waves,
0: far out. What a, that's that's not dude.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it took me a while, but like, you you definitely see it, and like, you see it with like just character movement and like the way they're csing and the way yeah. they trade. Like, you just know instantly what level they're at. Like, I reckon I could say it. We should do it as, like, a challenge one day, Nathan. We should get, like, a bunch of people's, like, replays and see who's more like jungle
1: is and- so different. Like, I, I can tell from a jungler that ELO based on, and, and I, so I struggle because people fail ganks in really bad fashion, even just approach the angle they approach in Diamond from so many reviews mm-hmm. I've done. And I mean, when I'm not in, then interacting with jungle camps, most people are actually pretty good. They will just look up a tutorial on YouTube, and they know how to do a jungle camp clear. Like gold players can clear pretty well, even close to like a super wall. It's not until like I mean, you could do the first two waves. I probably don't know until like the first failed gank, you know?
2: Wait, Nathan, Nathan, while we have Sloman here, I think we've basically answered Lisa's, Lena's question here, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, last thing before we finish this off, me and Nathan had a big argument. i well, not an argument, but a big discussion about. Mm. Um, <laughs> I had very strong opinions on this. What I said, C9 Academy would win Worlds in, like, what did I say, Season 5, and Season 6. I think C9 Academy now would win Worlds in Season 6, I believe. I okay, said. no,
1: for, first what at this statement here. Could C9 Academy, um, that one Academy this year, you know, with, with King and stuff like that, be Season five. 3 SKT with Faker... Bengi (laughs) given the knowledge, you know how you said it's always incrementally increasing and stuff like that.
2: Come on, Simon, you you know, this is good. Let him
1: think this because you're delusional, man. Honestly,
0: (laughs) it's, um, Okay. Oh this is very difficult, but like my, my initial my initial reaction was absolutely not and then and then and then I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to think about it I'm trying to think about everything that's been taught and everything like that
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: but i think if you if I think about the teams that have like i don't think that c like the, the team that like c9's academy team will like the, like they'll hold on pressure.
1: So you so you think that pressure do you think they have it to to be on par with them? I, know, I think know, I think, I think on, on a mechanical
0: and I think on a mechanical ability, like well, what season are we talking about? Well, the different the different like I think we're talking about season three, right? Are yeah, we, season three, we're starting
2: to do that. You're listening to yourself, you, no, you watched no, your replay talk, in 2013. Let's just yeah. look at ambition, the way they are moving in season three. That was CJ Enters,
0: right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Come on, man. It's literally, it literally looks like bots.
0: But we, we, were we were fucking lacking, dude. We were we were, we were <laughs> lacking, man. Um, but the it's other like, it's
2: not even close.
0: Yeah, but like, <laughs> right, let's let's use your
1: team. Don't think about academy because I mean you're you're probably not too far off like mm. seeing on an academy anyway, right? I mean you could even argue on the same level of skill, right? Because our UKLUC, mm. um, your team could your team beat like could your team win worlds in the last from like season three, four, five, six, or eight, let's say make it to worlds.
0: Uh, I think yeah, make it towards yeah. Okay. I think I think like the the concept, the conceptual understanding, and like like people understanding, like just generally people's under like yes, based on understanding, yes. Hundred percent. Make could, it they out put. of
1: groups, a hundred percent as well.
0: Yeah, if they didn't shit the bed.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> if they didn't shit the bed, if they didn't hold under pressure. You guys, I, are both like, original, yeah, like, good. honestly, what he, I'm, uh, I'm agreeing with you. No no, you're Curtis, not. no, no, no. Curtis is just flat convinced. Curtis is just like, Curtis is basically saying your team would beat SKT season three hundred no, percent. Yes, just
2: in like fucking twenty minutes. Curtis, uh, you know, by the like, way, I,
1: I, I talked to Jack Kays about this. So I got, I at least got Hayes on my time on my side. He literally said you're delusional as well. So I don't think you like how much the game is. Sh- okay, okay, let's put it like it's not about it like, it's it's about mechanics and just yes. Team let's put
2: it more personal.
1: Understanding meta.
2: Okay, let's take you, Simon, in season. We're not even. We're gonna let's let's not even talk about you in reference to anyone else. Let's take Simon in season five mm. to Simon now. Mm. If you would have versed yourself in mid
0: lane, mm. so let's
2: say you would continue to play the game, and you're, yeah. you know, you know, you oh, right? know. I would.
0: I would stop myself.
2: It would be so, it wouldn't even be close, right? It wouldn't, it'd be like a fucking, like,
0: yeah, you'd probably view
2: yourself as like a goal player, right? Like, equivalent, like, it'd be that easy.
0: Well, that's a bit of a (laughs) disservice, but okay, sure, let's go with that. Okay, yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah, it would be right. Okay, let's just say the players now, because the reason being, dude, like, I view Die Wolves in 2017, when we went to boot camp at the beginning of 2017, some of those guys got challenged in Korea. Right? They are mm-hmm. getting Challenger in Korea. At a, at an at a individual level, they were doing um, – Fantix beat Doper in lane, you know, their first pro players at the time. Chippies was beating some of the top laners in in, in top. Like, mechanically, they were basically on par, mechanically. And, and, mm-hmm. and yes, the game understanding obviously wasn't there, but
0: – All right, hang on, wait. Can I ask you a different question then? Because okay. I think Season 3 SKT is, like, not a good – what about Season 4 Samsung White?
2: Okay, I just think concepts impossible. literally just weren't... They, Samsung you, White weren't thinking about concepts that are people think about now, that are stock standard now.
0: No, but what, what they did was conceptually intuitive. At I, I almost think at the same... Like, they had the level of understanding that that team had, like, even if they couldn't verbalize it, was insane.
1: Mm, like, I think so as well, yeah.
0: that That team, you could slot them into any world champion since, and they... I think that they legitimately would have had a shot at every single title.
2: Disagree. Not I agree. Close. You guys are completely disregarding the way lanes played out. Like, yes, the macro, whether it mm. intuitively, the macro sort of real, the macro, like the basic overarching concept macro wise, yes, that's not really going to change. You know, there's like, Transference of pressure, we want to kill towers, we want to create man advantage, objective, mm. whatever it is. That's just there. It's not about that, it's about the ability to foresee things happening. It's the ability to create certain conditions through wave management and actual jungle pathing and um you know bouncing waves and shit like that. Like they're building waves and utilizing built waves and people, everyone on the team understanding what those built waves meant means like. And the overall laning prowess would have I- increased tenfold. You can't say that Faker in season three, the way he played mid lane, is going to be even close to the way, you know. Uh, okay, let's actually use Impact. Impact season three versus Fudge. Fudge would make Impact look like a fucking bronze. I could nearly guarantee you.
0: Mm. That's the way I'm I I, I, was, I was just thinking of that. But it, yeah, okay. If you it, yeah, because you can you can actually look at you can actually look at player progression and how they match up now to players and like give them the benefit of the doubt with XYZ like four years. Like fake it doesn't win lane that much anymore. It still no. wins like, a fair bit. But like Impact probably not. Like if yeah. you just look at where the players are now and you compare them to like how they're placing now, right? And you give them the benefit of the doubt of like like they mm-hmm. haven't stagnated and stuff like that and you mm. i can see how you can make a, like i can see your argument like, yeah, I, let's I, think like about I can.
2: impact now and how much he he would have had to improve to be where he is now and like yeah he's like he, he would no way be as good individually as fudge
0: yeah but curtis how can you compare art you know what i'm saying dude like like this question this like it's it's just impossible it's just it, impossible it, to answer
1: I, I think it's very difficult to answer, but I'm just... Kermit is so convinced. That's No, I'm, I, convinced. I'm not,
0: I'm not. I, I, I actually Thank think you. Curtis makes a... No, no, no. I think Curtis makes a pretty valid point with, like, comparison of the players now. Like, if you just compared how Comparum. Fox and Impact interacts now and how you... Well, you can't look at, like, Baker interacting with anyone. in. And so I, you're, you're looking like, at 1v1 1 1
1: in isolation, not team stuff. Now, you guys right?
2: are going... You guys are being way too theoretical. Okay, like some just said. Impact... Okay. What I said first, let's actually deconstruct this argument. Simon in season five versus mm. Simon now. That's five seasons. Okay. Let's just say that's five seasons. He's saying he would easily beat him <clears throat> himself in season five.
3: Mm.
2: Now, now let's take impact and let's say he's played since season three. Now in season nine or season ten, he would have had to improve quite a lot, quite significantly. To, to, to be where he is now. Like you can't be, be the same player. You evolve every year, just like you had to evolve every year as a player. That's why you would have beat yourself in season five very easily. Now, Fudge now dom- would dominate a laner-like impact now. Okay? That's seven years ago. Mm. Put Fudge now, who still dom- was dominating impact, to the impact that's had seven years to improve. I mean, just logically right, so, so breaking this down, saying, so the so laning would be, be so
1: he- he just shows impact like right now, like right now, not, not see. Well, well, he,
2: yeah. He already would beat impact significantly in lane now. And I mean, then significantly,
1: he, really significantly Curtis, come on. I would say,
2: yes, he would be a significantly better laner.
1: Definitely. Okay.
2: And then you've got, um, and then, yeah. And then, I mean, that's now. And then imagine Fudge versus impact in season three <laughs> with seven years to improve as an individual. I mean, I mean, I can't, it's not in my brain. It yeah. Doesn't, I don't no, no.
0: no. I, I, I see. I see what you're saying. I do. You know? Yeah. Oh well. Unfortunately, we'll never know, Curtis. So you can't be right. <laughs> that's
1: right. I. I yeah. We'll
0: never know.
2: <laughs> like, I'm not even trying to just be right. But it, I, I, I'm really trying to get my head around it. What I'm missing here? Why I'm able to? Why does this seem so obvious to me? You're
0: missing the magic of 2013 SKT, Curtis. That's what Fuck you're missing. Fuck the
2: magic, man. Fuck and the magic. <laughs> like, that's
1: right. Yeah. Fuck the magic.
2: Okay, what year was, was, was Insect invented?
1: Season two. Season two, season yeah. two? It was the same with Mad Life, I think, yeah. 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 No, Mad Life was season and, three, I think.
2: And, th- and think about how, like, everyone was praised thinking Monty was, like, a analytical genius for creating the word rotations. That was in season three. <laughs> Remember? No one even had heard of, like, rotations. Yeah, but, but, but people,
1: again, people did it, but people didn't have a word for it.
2: Like, I, I'm just trying to give a bit of context here. to so what was known concept-wise mm. as well? No, you're right. Been,
0: there's been, there's, there has been a substantial <laughs> amount of learning in the last few <laughs> 10 years. All right. All right. Let's,
2: let's leave yeah, it there, Curtis. Leave so right. that. We'll, we'll no, I'm just going to eat it over that shit. Because the, 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 the reason I thought Nathan couldn't understand it is because he's just a jungler and he doesn't understand how, like, laning... No, I,
0: you, no, no, no. Like, I think I no. that I think you'll find that the laning matchups, like, the people would... I think the people would dominate. I do. Okay. Yeah. Like okay. legitimately like they like, yeah. I don't think unless these people unless these players actually peaked in season three.
3: <laughs>
0: maybe, maybe. Unless I all get, these get, players I... peaked in season three, then it probably like not happening. But if we can if we give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they, they didn't, then then yeah.
1: Alright. Okay. Fair enough. Alright. That- well that wraps us up for Broken My Concept episode nineteen. Um, Simon, did you have any any parting words, any shout-outs? Anything else you want to say here?
0: Um, shout-outs to you guys for having me on. It was uh, – and was thank you, for reaching out. I had a, had a blast, guys. Yeah, no cheers. problem at all, man. Glad to you're, have you
1: You're on. an excellent first guest, Simon. You're gonna be It's going to be hard to talk. Maybe people are going to be so scared to come on the show now because they're like, well, how are we going to talk for three hours and 30 minutes? Like just nothing to do with it. Simon. Yeah. Like Joe Rogan, man. It's like
3: a fucking show. Literally a
1: Joe Rogan. <laughs> We're challenging Joe Rogan, yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next time.